My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. This episode of the Holocene Podcast is sponsored by the Holocene Magazine. Our first issue is available now for pre-order and features stories from around the world on the feature design, the realities of humanity, and adventures to truly wild places. Featuring editions from Chris Burkhart, Alex Stroll, Wen Wenyi, Richard Daney, Lauren Moores, Brian Collins, Petra Knapp, Misha Wilcoxon, and more. Each iteration also features recommendations on some of the best gear, tech, and accessories out now, as well as the best restaurants, hotels, and locations from around the globe, all tested by our team. This publication will always be limited to the first run, so make sure you pre-order soon. On this episode of the Holocene Podcast, I am joined by my friend, Ruben Hughes. Ruben Hughes is a passionate art director originally from the New York City area, now residing in Copenhagen. He has held roles at Magazine du Nord, Ilum, Bang & Olufsen, Menu, Squarespace, Gap, and more. His experience includes creative direction, art direction, content creation, social media, and digital marketing. In his spare time, Ruben enjoys music of all kinds, staying active, traveling throughout Europe, designing literature, and collecting art. I hope you enjoy this episode between myself and Ruben Hughes. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Ruben, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. So I start every podcast the same way by asking the same question, which is, what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? I would say if the weather more than anything else. Like, is it going to be a sunny day or is it going to be cloudy and dull? <laughs> and and for context, we're here in uh, a hotel recording this episode in Copenhagen, and it's actually a pretty lovely evening. Um, yeah, but I feel like it's also snowed, hailed, rained, and been sunny all in one day, <laughs> which is a perfect depiction of Copenhagen spring. And uh, is is winter usually just this constant onslaught that I think it is of just gray and... Yeah, it's pretty much gray constantly. You'll look at the weather forecast, and I think I've learned now to not use Google Weather. It's the, they have this app called YR, and it's a Norwegian app, and that is the closest you can get to some type of perfection and understanding how the weather is going to be. Really? Yeah, because I mean, I think yesterday, uh, I we 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 met up and it was sunny all of a sudden for like an hour, and I was like, "Hey, man, let's go for a walk." So like sit in a, sit in the lobby and eat, and you're just like, "Yeah, if the weather lasts." Yeah, I was like, "Sure, we'll see." And then sure enough, when I left my apartment, it, it was pouring. raining. Yeah, it was pouring. It wasn't just raining; it was pouring. And then we were left also two hours that it was still pouring, and it was sunny, and then pouring. And so yeah, so I feel like that's that's Copenhagen in a nutshell. Um, to, we'll, we'll get back to Copenhagen and your journey here, um, but. For people that don't know who you are, uh, how would you describe the work you do now to your eight-year-old self? I am a creative. I like to create. I like to come up with ideas, and I like to see them through in some execution of cre creativity. Uh, that's what I would tell an eight-year-old myself. <laughs> but to anyone else, I would definitely say that I'm an art director, creative director, someone who's driven by ideas and loves to see them imagined in many different ways. Amazing. And 
did did that did that kind of course in life I, I i think before we dive in deeper about you know what you've been working on and what you have worked on i think you have a very interesting story and i didn't know your story and kind of routing through your career right now until we met in person cuz I, I don't know how public you've been about your history i think if someone were to read every single post you ever posted on instagram they might get it and figure exactly. it out but do you want to kind of give the quick history of your experience because you you are one of the people like the only one i know that's been in social in the social media or instagram as long as you have like i feel like you were, sure. you were one of the ogs yeah yeah i mean i was a part of the og uh community back in like 2009 2008 yeah um and it, it it started from tumblr those days in tumblr where that was kind of the curation area of influence through marketing and advertising and from there kind of flowed in from sharing other people's content to now sharing your own content through Instagram. And uh, in New York, I where I'm originally from, I had the opportunity to work at a lot of really cool companies. And my first job was in social media, funny enough. And I, I tell people all the time that I, I got my first job through a retweet on Twitter. Uh, there was someone who I was following at the time who retweeted a job at Gap for an internship and I just happened to see it on my timeline and sent the email off. And that kind of began the career that I had in social media, um, funny enough. And uh, using Instagram, using all these different uh, social platforms kind of inclined who I am today and, you know, what type of work that I do. And th there's one thing from the original story that really sticks out to me when we talked about this. It was that when Gap had these shoots, and obviously Gap has had some pretty famous shoots with a lot of massive celebrities and athletes, um, it was very selective of who could who could attend, right? It's usually exactly, like the, exactly. The, the photographer, the set designers, and yeah, know, I mean, it was very, very small. It was funny because you know, I'm I was 21, fresh 21, uh, yeah. starting this job and had very little experience social in social media other than when I did my own company that I had before and company with a very small c yeah uh and i was able to be doing the behind the scenes for instagram taking photos on my phone and and whatnot and i was the only one really from the client side allowed into the room you know like you said there was a photographer and maybe a stylist who would fix the clothing of the models or the celebrity but for the main uh it was me sitting behind the photographer watching them work uh, and that was kind of the first spark of interest for art direction and for content in general was being able to see someone with immense talent be able to do what I began to realize that I loved as well, which is directing something. Amazing. And and you, you've you told me before that you had a lot of growth in that role, right? You started off kind of at the bottom and you ended up exiting near the top, right? Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it really was the bottom. Right? I walked into this job and um, Funny thing about it was I had been in an internship at Club Monaco before Gap, and I really did not know what I was doing. And yeah. I can say that now uh, laughing back at it because I thought I knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And you would walk in every day, and there was no content calendar. There wasn't a plan. Instagram was really fresh and new. Yeah. Uh, and trying to figure out where I wanted to take myself. Um, and through Gap and through a lot of the companies that um, that I've worked at, yeah, now I would say that I'm definitely a higher level of my game. And uh, it, it's kind of scary because it, it, life goes by so quickly. And, you know, you, you look at yourself as a junior marketer and now looking at myself as a senior marketer and 
having so much experience in different jobs yeah. and understandings, um, it's exciting to take what I've learned and, and, you know, realize that into reality. And so how old are you now? 32. 32. So 11 years ago, when young 21-year-old Ruben was starting at The Gap, um, if there's like one piece of advice you could go back in time and give 21-year-old Ruben, what would it be? I would say it's it's a long game. Uh, being in your your career is a long game. My dad always would tell me that you're going to be working way longer than you're in school. And I really didn't get that when I was 16 yeah. or 18. No one was like, School's forever. You feel like you're, you've been at every grade and you're in college and you're like, when is this going to end? Yeah. Um, and when I got out of school, I thought that I knew what I wanted in life. I thought what I, uh, where I wanted to be. And I did get there in a lot of ways. But, you know, coming to Copenhagen was a shift in that that um kind of like that schedule that i set for myself yeah um and and knowing now uh, having a career is a long game you know i've had many jobs and i've worked in many places and um you're going to be doing this for a long time so enjoy these moments kind of take your time understand and you know take in what you're getting from each place you are at because ultimately that you're going to use that no matter where you go absolutely and I think I think Instagram has been such a pivotal tool, not only in building your career but growing your career. Right? It's it's how you and I met. Yeah, um, it's how I met yeah. most most people. Actually, I that think that's how most people meet people these yeah. days, just like through shared interest and content um, similarities. And so I, I started following Ruben back in your Squarespace days, um, and you were at Squarespace right after Gap, or is there something else in between those two? No, right after Gap. Cool. Yeah. So I got a, a phone call. Um, and this is how it usually actually works. Um, it, pretty much until recently, where I would get a phone call from someone saying, "Hey, we would love for you to come and work for us. Um, we see some some opportunity." And I was at Gap, you know, peddling clothes constantly, doing yeah. photo shoots. And I just said I needed a break. I want to be in tech. I want to be somewhere where it's digital. The mm-hmm. product you can't touch, like how I was touching constantly at Gap. Yeah. Um, and and landed myself at Squarespace ultimately. And and what was that like, that transition from a physical product to a digital product? It was interesting because I was doing a gap. I was um, managing the social media channels. So I was the, the the voice and the face behind the gap Instagram account that no one knew. Uh, and that was fun because it was a challenge there. And I was working with product constantly doing shoots and studios and, you know, taught myself how to take pictures so I could be able to do it better uh, in my job. And when I got to Squarespace, uh, it was a digital product. There was no more photo shoots that I had to do in studios with product. It became people-oriented. Uh, it became uh, profiling entrepreneurs, profiling uh, artists, uh, interviewing artists, interviewing you know different types of uh, musicians. Uh, and that was fun because I met a lot of people and I was able to expand my kind of portfolio and you know how my mind works because now I was seeing things in a in a digital space and and not so much from a fashion standpoint it was from a lifestyle perspective now yeah is is there any uh particular event or memory from squarespace that really stands out oh so many um every i was there for for two years mm-hmm. and i did uh, two super bowl campaigns yeah and that was quite fun because um we, we had such a large team and i definitely was still not at the head of the helm at the time uh but i got the opportunity to be a part of uh, to uh, social campaign and launches at Squarespace. And uh, one was fun because it was with Keelan, Key and Peel. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, <laughs> I got to meet the guys and they're so funny. And uh, we flew out to LA 
for for su- to do this kind of like uh, activation where Key and Pill were going to be commentators of the game. Yeah. But they weren't allowed to say football. They weren't allowed to say a Super Bowl. They weren't allowed yeah. to use these keywords that are like copyrighted, you know, to the, the NFL. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I was the guy who was in charge of taking all the photos that was going to go on the microsite that we were creating live. Yeah. So I would take the pictures in this. I had a Canon camera, but then I had this mm-hmm. weird, weird box that some guy in LA created that would cancel noise from any photo that was taken. Wow. So it was like, it, it felt like I was taking photos underwater. Yeah. And uh, I would take these pictures, pull the SD card out, and then send it to a guy who would run across, edit them up, and post them up like right away. Jesus. And he would give me a new SD card, and I would keep taking pictures. Yeah. And in this activation, uh, they had all these weird surprises that came coming out. And I found myself in this playpen with micro piglets uh, taking pictures of Key and Pill uh, while these little pigs were running around jumping on top of me. And I, I just remember thinking to myself like, what a weird job. <laughs> like, <laughs> what fun though, right? What, but quite yeah. fun and quite intense. Um, yeah. And at the same time, like I had a love for photos still. So mm-hmm. I would wake up at like 6 a.m. in L.A. to go catch sunrise yeah. um, and then go straight to uh, this this uh, launch, so yeah. <laughs> taking pictures with pigs uh, and yeah. coming back on with the red eye. Yeah. yeah, exactly. With Key and Pill. Uh, but yeah, we did stuff like that. I got uh, to hang out with Leon Bridges yeah. on the rooftop. Uh, after he performed at Squarespace, he did a, a really cool activation with us at the time. I remember that. It was, it was broadcasted live on like Instagram. And yeah, places. exactly. Yeah. And it was really cool. You know, we did this whole... Squarespace is really great at creating uh, a branded content. And yeah. uh, we created this whole campaign around his story, but mm-hmm. then tied into his Squarespace website. Yeah. And he performed at our office and I got to hang out with him on the rooftop afterwards. And I remember laughing, asking him, because, you know, he's really into 60s and yeah, suits. Is. And I was like... When you go home Vindid. to visit your mom, I was yeah. like, do you go to the corner store in a suit? Or like, do you pull out the sweats like all of us? And he yeah. was like, I do the suit still. And, you know, it's fun, you know. And I met like John Malkovich as well mm-hmm. at Squarespace because uh, we did a we campaign did a with campaign, him. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I was really privy to some amazing campaigns there um, and partnerships with Apple and Google as well. Um, but at the same time, it opened my eyes to seeing how to, you know, yeah. really work in the advertising space, especially without a product. Yeah. Physical. And I, I, I don't want to gloss over Squarespace too quickly because, you know, Squarespace was a pivotal product in my own career because, you know, I think before Squarespace, there was really WordPress, but that was still like very com uh, like unnecessarily complex. Yeah. I mean, everyone had to become a coder in HTML. Essentially. Or, or, or not just a coder. Like I remember after being on Squarespace for a few years, I had to edit a site in WordPress. And like, even though you didn't have to use like direct code, like basically the settings menu is like trying to launch a nuclear missile from the submarine, (laughs) right? Like it it made no sense to me because I'm a visual person, right? And as someone who's an engineer and a visual person, like I can understand the code, but I also want to see it updated live. And I didn't like this whole thing where I'd like push and then wait and delay. And so when I started using Squarespace, I was able to say like, cool, this thing in my head that I have designed I can then just go make it like I would an illustrator, like I wouldn't word or like I wouldn't page. Exactly. Right. And so making a site became easy. I was like, oh, this is cool. And people are like, why? How'd you do that? It's like, I don't, I don't know. It's just in my head. Yeah. And and, and not to uh, kill on uh, WordPress, but yeah. back when my company, when I had my own company yeah. with a small KC, mm-hmm. uh, I had this guy named Andrew from Seattle. <laughs> Or yeah, Ugh, somewhere Andrew around there. Seattle, yeah. Andrew from Seattle. <laughs> so many stories about Andrew. But I remember having to be on G Chat writing him like, 
uh, when is my website going to be finished? And he'd be like, yeah, I just launched it. And it would take five minutes for me to see the update. And then, oh, yeah. no, Andrew, it's wrong. And he'd be like, okay, I have to go back to fixing it. And that would take two days. And it's just terrible having to to work Versus with a coder. Versus Squarespace is you can open your phone and edit a page and then make it go live immediately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was the lore, I think, for me as a creative as well, being in, in, in uh, a company where I actually used the product before they reached out to me. So. Yeah. I was a part of, you know, the process of, of the how they built things. Yeah. And that made me excited as well to work yeah. in a place where I felt like I already was contributing before I started there. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating because, you know, my company does a lot of work with building sites. And most of the time, we'll just build it on Squarespace because then a, a designer who doesn't have no programming experience can easily put together their vision and make it easily updatable by the client. Because we like building things where, I don't want to have to. I don't want to have to have them rely on. Yeah, us you, you don't want to be maintenance. No, I, I never want to be maintenance. Right? People are like, oh, but you make so much money. I don't care. Like, I'd rather make the money. And the you're, I think you and I, this is where you and I are 100 percent like. Where I don't care about the maintenance money. I care about the creation money. Yeah. Right. I'd rather. I'd rather. Even if it means I make less money long term. And don't, like, because who who wants to do that? No. And oh, I mean, Andrew yeah. hated me. Exactly. I was always oh, calling sure. Andrew late yeah. nights, saying, Andrew, something broke. I need you need to fix it now. I have a meeting tomorrow. Like, yeah. Yeah. So no one wants to be Andrew anymore. <laughs> I hope Andrew's good. No, yeah, uh, you know, our regards to Andrew, of course. But um, there are certain things that Squarespace doesn't do well, right? Like there are some highly dynamic visual sites that are hyper custom, which just don't work in Squarespace. And I've learned this the hard way of like, sometimes I want a client who has a very large budget and they're like, we want all this crazy, crazy stuff. And you're like, you could do this in Squarespace, but it would involve so much custom CSS and HTML on top of the existing frame that like you're better off building it from scratch. Yeah. And in that case, like I've been lucky enough to find a few programmers and coders um, that are are easy to work with creatives. And I think that that's, that's like a unicorn, especially in New York City. Like those people, the the individuals who understand HTML and Java who can work with designers are, they're like making a million dollars a year building sites. Yeah, because, I think we yeah. should have been in that, uh, exactly. that industry. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I just don't, for, for me, I don't know if you ever spent time learning how to code, but I have no interest. No, not at all. I think my extent of coding was when I had a MySpace and I wanted to change the background <laughs> page so that it snowed. Page. Yeah. Oh, got it. Yeah. So, so you, you know, I think there was a lot of coders who got off MySpace. I think yeah. that and be, have some successful careers. Look, I, I think, I think uh, programming in general is one of those things that everyone should try because I think some people will find a lot of love for that kind of creation. Um, and if you like it, then do it. Right. There's like, I think that there's so many things you can do in this world that if you're not happy doing what you want to be doing, then move the fuck on. Yeah. And I think also it tends to be like the second career that I'm finding. I have a lot of friends who are like, I'm going back to school to be a coder now. Like, oh, yeah. They realize that, okay, like I actually am better at home at a desk. Yeah. And well, this isn't exciting to me. Absolutely. I was on, I, I this is a long story, but I'll, I'll make it short. I, I had an issue with my Disney Plus. It just wasn't working. And so I called their support desk and I got this 86 year old who works from home from his house and he couldn't tell me where, but he said like Southern, he just light Southern draw. Right. And, uh, he was talking about like how he's been in it since like the beginning of computers essentially. And he's talking about how he used to like hop on planes, go pick up floppy disks and reset mainframes. And so he's just talking about how like, you know, coding even at my age is, is something I enjoy it. I can learn it. And I think that it's something where if, if most people who like enjoy video games or enjoy puzzles, like if you enjoy playing Wordle, you'll really like programming, right? I'm personally don't really care about that, but like 
there are so many people out there that would be excellent programmers and it would take such little amount of time and effort and they could do it on their computer or their iPad or their phone and learn it for free. Like there are schools now, and if you heard about this, but there are a couple like pro level, college level university, like Stanford quality programming schools where you can go for free and you basically sign a contract where they take a certain percentage of your first few years of salary to like pay for your tuition, so to speak. Wow. And that, that sounds like an interesting uh, concept. Yeah, no, it is. It's, one of them is called Lambda School. Um, I follow the guy that runs it on Twitter and everyone's kind of skeptical at first. Like it sounds like a get, get rich quick scheme, right? Mm. But they have uh, been doing it for eight years now or something like that. They have a hundred percent job placement with like Google, Apple, Facebook. And these guys are basically getting starting salaries in the two to $300,000 range at like whatever age they're coming out at. And Lambda's just like, cool, we're going to take, it's a certain set amount. So they, they don't, they don't, it's a, I don't, I think it's a percentage or a value. They're like, we'll take 6% of your salary the first three years. And that allows us to continue like paying back what, what's happened. And it makes sense though, because if someone said, Hey, you won't have any debt. You'll just owe a single digit percentage of your first few years of salary to the to the entity that basically taught you everything you know. That's, it makes a lot of sense because people are paying that back anyway in school loans. People so. are paying that back in interest. Yeah. Anyways, right. You know, exactly. Like, it's 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 my whole thing is like, you know, at 18 years old in America, you are not allowed to drink. Right. You can buy you can't even buy cigarettes anymore. Most, most states are 21 now or even higher for, for cigarettes. But you're able to go to war. You're able to sign up for hundreds of thousand dollars with probably the same amount of interest over the course of your life. You're able to do all these crazy things, and, and I, it makes no sense. Yeah. System is messed up. Versus the European model. <laughs> so um, after Squarespace, kind of going back in, in that little foray, you you then moved to Copenhagen, right? Yeah. So I, like a lot of people in New York, was doing a lot. Yeah. I was working at Squarespace and I was also freelancing on the side. people doing a lot? What? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's crazy, right? Uh, but I was freelancing on the side as well. And um, I was so curious because I felt like I, I, I always wanted to kind of find my way out of social media. I thought yeah. it was a really helpful opportunity in the beginning, but I have always told myself that social media as a, a marketer has an expiration date at least for me, because you get burned out working 24-7 constantly. So I had been freelancing on the side as a content creator for brands yep. all over. And um, I had got the opportunity to do some work with Menu and Bang & Olufsen here in Copenhagen, mm -hmm. um, but in New York. Yep. And um, that began my interest for kind of seeing Copenhagen in some, some way. Um, and at Squarespace, you know, I loved the work I was doing. I loved the team, but I just felt like I needed to slow down. Like I was tired of the New York hustle. Yeah. It's tired of stressing out. It's exhausting. Um, it's exhausting and it's unnecessary, mm -hmm. especially when you start traveling a bit yeah. uh, and you start getting outside the country and realizing that people don't live this way. No. Uh, I compare it They're to- They're just as successful. Exactly. And yeah. I compare it to this idea of like when I was living uh, in the US, I felt like I'd walk outside and everyone was running running somewhere, running to the yeah. train, running to go to work, running to go to somewhere to eat. Where living in Copenhagen, when I walk, can I go outside, everyone's walking. Everyone's walking to work. Everyone's walking to go to wherever they're going. There are bikes everywhere. There's bikes everywhere. And yeah. it made me realize this, this idea that like, okay, I don't need to run. No. Like, why am I running? Yeah. And uh, when you have a family in, uh, who grew up in a, you know, a third world country and also in New York, like you can't go to them and tell them, I'm stressed. I'm tired. They're going to yeah. be like, yeah, but like, you know, I used to walk three miles to get water. And yeah. I mean, like, I've been the worst. Carried this family exactly. Yeah. So, like, you can't complain to people like that. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to say, like, you'll be fine. Get back to work. Um, so when I had the opportunity to to move to Copenhagen, uh, I jumped right on it. Yeah. And uh, 
ran, you know, like two feet in without doing too much research. I kind of just hopped on a plane um, sure. and, and found myself here. Yeah. And this is incredibly aesthetically pleasing city. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's super sophisticated and I feel like I've jumped in uh, style and uh, confidence and sophistication from just living and being in this place. Yeah, I, I think so. I've been to Copenhagen now three or four times, and um, every time I'm here, I'm always reminded that like it can be very daunting the first time you step out your hotel door in the morning because like you, everyone is dressed to the nines, everyone is beautiful, everyone's tall and fit and athletic. Yeah, I mean, and it's I just always remember just like if you raise your shoulders and carry yourself well and just be like, I got this, everyone else will respect you immediately. But if you kind of like act. I hate to use word beta, but if you do, if you have beta here, people are like, "What are you? What are you doing?" Yeah, I just think that it's like uh, in your self, in your consciousness, yeah. living here, that you, you know, you believe in quality, whether that's in, sure. in the clothing you wear, or the place you live, or the things that you eat and do. So I think that's one thing for sure. The Scandinavian aesthetic is undeniable. Yes. Um, a lot of people in the U.S. and other places copy it. They want a piece of it. Yeah. So uh, but for no me, one does it as well as they do. And no one does it as well. And uh, I'm reminded when I leave <laughs> how, how much it is. And for me, I, I love it. I mean, I, I love uh, the way I, I live here and the, the style and the, the quality of life. And it, it kind of feels like I was meant to be in a place that, you know gave me that feeling and gives me that that breath of fresh air yeah something you and i've talked about a lot is copenhagen breaks a lot of the normal rules of the european city and i think the biggest rule it breaks is dating apps right <laughs> as, as you and i've talked about we're not going to go obviously into, into much detail here but for people that don't under the people that have never been on a dating app in copenhagen right unlike in amsterdam or a paris or a london or uh in italy or even some places in like africa like as i've talked about with you like cape town and some places in asia like tokyo and places People here will use dating apps to meet their future spouses versus yeah. like in America, they might use them just to hook up or meet people or have fun. But it's just like, you know, I lived in Copenhagen for a month last September and it was impossible for me to just even get one person to grab one drink with me. Well, I was told when I moved here that dating is actually a new concept for people here, <laughs> uh, which is crazy, right? Because, you know, people have been married for years, right? Yeah. Like, like this is... Uh, and everyone's super fucking good looking. Yeah, like, exactly. I cannot undersell the point that they are all incredibly good looking people. Yeah, which for me, at least uh, coming from the US, it, it makes it a little bit easy to live here. But I think also the whole idea of dating, it is interesting because people here, they when they go on dates, they've made they made an, an, an effort in their mind to say that this is someone who visually I can see myself with. Yeah. So now it, it takes this turn of like, now I need to see the, all of the motions and yeah. everything else matches itself. Um, but it is, it, it does it does have that feeling a lot in, in, in different areas of life, career, um, social settings, uh, dating, uh, people here do see, do, you know, they invest in other people. Yeah. Uh, and if they don't feel that uh, the person who they're going to meet with or talk to is an investment, they yeah. tend to be a bit closed off. Yeah. And I, I do love the, I think Danish dinners as well are like the best of a bunch of different worlds, right? It's the pace of the French with like the quality of the Scandinavians without like all the riffraff. Right. And so hundred yeah, percent. I, I there's a lovely restaurant in the hotel. Uh we're recording this in downstairs at dinner last night and they did the simple, you know, chef's tasting menu. And I I think it took me two and a half hours to get the chef, this like six course menu, right? And I thought it was really well paced. I was enjoying myself. There was a table of about twenty people, like ten feet from me. And when I started, they were on course about to get course four. And we both finished at the same time. 
and I and I and I realized how slow I was going. And I realized that I mean, I was by myself. I wasn't talking to anyone. They were having these incredibly ranging conversations. I heard Danish. I heard Swedish. I heard Finnish. I heard English. Um, but it's kind of amazing. It's that it's that beautiful thing where people will like really invest in saying like, oh, this is clearly an after work dinner function. They definitely started around six or seven, but they're ending at midnight. Yeah, I mean, people they when they go out, they're out. Yeah, and they're here to have a good time. They're here to really go deep and, and know about what people are up to for sure um they want to enjoy themselves because uh, you know friday and saturday comes around mm -hmm. uh each week and that's the time for people to really be invested oh, it's wild yeah people really want to be invested and also like gatherings again there's this idea here that i think that i've learned about living here that's different from the u.s is that when people meet and when people have conversation they're not here to have small talk. They don't do small talk. No, here. small talk doesn't um, exist. It doesn't exist here. It's all about really inv getting invested, that word investment, yeah. into someone's life, knowing yeah. what they're up to. And you get that at dinners. Yeah, it's it's not, oh, how is your day? It's tell me your life story. Yeah. Or, like, or when it is, uh, how are you doing? They want to know. And if oh, you, for sure. And if you ask someone in Denmark, how are you doing? Be prepared for them to tell, tell you they're doing bad if they're doing bad. Yeah, I appreciate the honesty, but also like in the United States, you're like, Hey, how are you doing? Like, good. How are you? And it's like, great. And you move on quickly. It's like, it's, it's a customary thing here, yeah. here in Denmark. It's like, how are you doing? Well, today was, you know, my bike was broken. And, and in the U S if you're doing bad, you just say I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas here they're like, oh, I'm, I'm, it's fucking terrible, man. You know, like they're, you know, like I, 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 I when I went in today to the, when I got the, um, uh, the massage I was talking about, right. I was like, how are you doing today? It's like, really actually shit day. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, yeah, but I appreciate the honesty. They'll, they'll tell me why. They'll tell you why. No, but I, I appreciate that, right? I think I think also, you know, Denmark is considered to be the happiest country on earth. Hmm. And you can see that here. And I think because people are just so brutally honest with their self, their feelings, their relationships. And I think that, you know, not only is comparison the thief of joy, um, but like I look at the US. I think most people's problems stem from the fact they're not being honest themselves. I think most depression stems from that point as well. It's like you want to be your, you want to be like, "Oh, you see the hot guy on Instagram that's flying around in a private jet that, you know, maybe he has daddy's money, maybe he came from nothing and did it all himself." But like in America, we're like, "Oh, we we deserve that. We have to have that." Versus here, it's just like, "Cool. Am I putting in the effort or do I biologically look like that?" No. Okay, then I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah, right? Exactly. People here are just very at peace with themselves yeah i mean people are here looking to be comfortable and enjoy their life um they don't want to uh kind of jump over other people uh also i think the i always had this one thing i used to say about the difference between copenhagen and new york um i feel like people in new york are trying to make it in life yeah where people in copenhagen are trying to enjoy life Yes. And that is, I would Whether say- Whether they've made it or not, or in the process of doing it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that is the huge difference about living in Scandinavia, that people, they put a lot of effort and uh, energy into enjoying life, which could be beautiful, but also, you know, it kind of keeps people in a, in a certain place. It, it does. And I, I think there's so much to speak about Danish principles. And like, there's so many fun words I learn every time I'm here. Like, I, I, I mispronounced yesterday, but it's, it's Hugo. Yeah, Hugo. Right. Do you want, do you want to coziness. explain coziness? Right? Yeah. So Hugo is this, um, it, it doesn't happen too much in the summertime, uh, but I would say Hugo is the feeling of uh, the fire burning in a fireplace or a candle on or having uh, two big layers of sweaters laying yeah. on a couch with a blanket. Um, it's just this feeling of warmth and coziness. And 
that is the best feeling you can get, especially when winter comes around. Yeah. And it's the most terrible weather you've experienced in your life. Um, <laughs> you have the Hugo with friends, the coziness with friends, or yeah. sitting on the couch relaxing with your significant other. Do you have Do you have any other famous uh, fav- famous uh, any other favorite like Danish terms or saying? Yeah. So um, I, I love saying safuli, mm-hmm. which means of course, uh-huh. uh, and that's always fun because. When people ask you, like, oh, do you know Danish? Safuli. And of course. Yeah. Even though you know, like, what, 60 years yeah, Exactly. Yeah. I, know, <laughs> I told people 60, but I think it might be 53 now. I feel uh, okay. like there's a few I haven't used in a long while. Understood. But uh, safuli is one word that, or two words, because it's, of course, but one word in Danish that I, I love to always pull out the hat. Yeah. Um, you want more? Or? Yeah, sure. Right. I, I would say uh, my girlfriend, she always would say vasa to me. And I would always be like, what are you talking about? Like, what is, what is what's up? And I realized one day that means what's up. <laughs> and now... Just, it is what it is. Yeah. So now I'm like, when I see it, I'm like, what's up? What's up? <laughs> uh, fun. Anything else? Any, any other favorites? Uh, I mean, uh, if you want a curse word... <laughs> sure. Of course. Uh, when people, you know, I think... And actually, it's funny, too, because I don't actually know the equivalent of, like, this word. But I just think that it could be, like, shit or fuck. Uh, it's for Satan, for Satan, for Satan. Uh, and usually it, that happens when someone like cracks their foot on the side of a bed mm. or, you know, like you, you sit on someone back. Ah, for it. Satan. Ah, for Satan, yeah. for Satan, for Satan. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's always a funny one too. Yeah. I, I, I do think shit is a universal word now. Yeah. It's like Coca-Cola and then shit. Because like, sometimes I'll hear someone like in French be like, oh, shit. <laughs> they can say map or something else, you know, some other French word, but they choose to say shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, English truly is a global. Yeah, or if, for all the people out there in relationships, uh, if you are dating someone, you know, we always saying like babe or uh, baby or yeah. whatever. Uh, the word here is scat. Uh, so sometimes you'll be walking <laughs> like on the what st- we call in the English language like cat shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scat. scat. So you'll see people walking on the street yelling scat, scat, and you're like, that's someone probably yelling at their wife or their you know, yeah. husband to say, come with me. Or they also say scat to kids as well. So like you'll hear that. It's endearing term. It, it's, it's a endearing word. Yeah. So um, I think by now I've replaced the word baby and babe with scat. Yeah. But and that also is the treasury as well, funny enough. So it means treasure in English. Oh. So it's actually uh, the tax man is also called scat. So, But you don't call him scat in the same way you call him <laughs> your girlfriend. You know? So it's all based on intonation and... Uh, like placement then exactly so yeah. the word scat you'll know if they're using it in a certain way because mm-hmm. you know no one's excited about taxes right so you're not saying exactly. scat in the most sexy sure. way um i don't know much about the danish language in terms of particulars but do you, how bad is their verb conjugation like you know if, if 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 you know like french for example right like the verb aller which means to go right it's like j'ai tu Il a a new avant, like yeah. new allé, new allé, sorry. But like there's like 8,000 different versions of everything you have to learn. But I think Danish is not like that. No, there's not. But they do, uh, they have some words that they play around with, which is kind of funny. Like uh, winter, uh, they say winter. Mm-hmm. They have like uh, the W for in it's their- like winter. Yeah. So yeah. the W for them is actually like the, there's two Vs because mm. there's no W. Uh, so winter uh, or like uh, wine is vin. Uh, so which is w yeah and also if you're working in the fashion industry people would say you know aw which is like autumn winter but here it's av 
AV. Uh, Everything's AV. So V and sense. W plays around. I saw around that in Elam when I was walking yesterday, and I was like, "What? What is that?" Yeah, AV. Everything. Exactly. Yeah. So you, they do play around with, uh, you know, the words a little bit here, but it is an awful language to learn, just in general. Sure. So <laughs> keep yeah, that in mind. I, I mean, so recently I become fascinated with languages, and I'm someone who always is interested in them, but not patient enough to learn them. I hope that changes one day, because I would love to know a couple more languages. Uh, I think it's useful, but. I heard recently someone mentioned they were like, what is the easiest language to learn? And they were asking this, there's this YouTuber, I forget his name. I think it's Xiaomi NYC. I'll link them below. Mm. We, I always, by the way, if anyone, this is the first time listening to this podcast, I link everything we mentioned during the podcast below in the show notes, whether you're on Spotify or Apple or Google or whatever. Um, but long story short, um, this this kid is like a true polyglot. And I was like, I think he knows like 50 languages conversationally and like eight to 10, like fully fluently, including like, Chinese, both Mandarin, like like hard, hard languages. And he was saying the easiest language to learn by far is Indonesian. And he was saying because a lot of the vowel sounds are similar to English, if you're an English speaker, obviously. So this is English, Indonesian. Number one, there are no crazy vowel sounds like there are in Danish or any Scandinavian language or like most Asian languages. And number two, all verbs and words are conjugated based on context of the sentence. Mm. So like you use the same word like to go for a group of people as you would a boy, as you would a girl, as you would uh, an, an animal. And based on the context in the sentence, people assume they know what it means. Yeah. I Also, for me, I just don't like learning languages where I have to make funny looks with my mouth mm. and my face. And Danish. Is one of those and things. Danish has a few of those where you have to kind of chuck your lips in a certain way. That, yeah. Yeah. And where you're just <laughs> like, that's not me. Yeah, I would never do that. It's not sophisticated. Yeah, but if you're you know? but if you're a Danish, they you know they've mastered how to mimic that look, or for at sure. least you know they can say it without making a face. But yeah. for anyone outside of Denmark, you're making faces all day. No, one thing is weird is just like you know, in in the U.S. will be like, oh, but here they're like, ooh, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah. I mean, it's not strange. It's it's to 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 them, we're strange. Yeah, right? I mean, it's strange. Sure. Strange is subjective. Yeah, and also English is like one of the, also one of the hardest languages English to learn, right? Locked up, right? Yeah, but they teach it here from a very young age. They right? do, and I, I think right now it's 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 around age eleven. But I've mm -hmm. heard that they've been going down to seven and eight years old. Makes sense. I mean, yeah, so they so want obviously they're they're very proud about building a strong root in the Danish language, right? But Danish outside of Denmark is pretty, pretty much a useless language. It, it is. Yeah. I would say so. I mean, yeah. it, you know, it's sad to say <laughs> the, that, the right? The two Americans from New York. Yeah. Sorry sorry yeah. to my girlfriend and to everyone else who knows me here. But uh, <laughs> it is it is pretty you know useless outside of it for sure. Yeah. It is it is a beautiful language. And I think like if I were to live in Denmark, like long term would be worth living. That's not shade at you, I promise. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, to me, I just like English is so hard. To us, it makes sense. But also like, I think about how much English has changed just in like the 20 years since I was in like second grade, you know, mm. like think about, think about how much, how many like words and phraseology and like slang. Cause English is a very slang heavy language. It is. And, and, you know, and it's worse when you from a certain part of the U S right. Correct. So depending yeah. on where you're from, it can complicate things for, for yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, well, it's like, also if, if you're from Boston and someone, and, and you have, uh, you know, a, a piece and they're like, Oh, bless your heart, mate. You know, it's yeah. like, that's like, Oh, that's nice. But if you're in the South, like, Oh, bless your heart. They're really telling you to go fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so that it's, it's not just like intonation of words and understanding different dialects and uh, instances. But I, I think that's the one thing I'm realizing is that sometimes when, you know, um, one of my friends went to high school in Amsterdam and she was saying that 
she's been weekends in Copenhagen, weekends in Paris, stuff like this. In my head, I'm like, wow, that's so cool. And I, then I'm, I forget that everything is so close together. Yeah. Like you can fit all of the interesting, I'm going to get trouble, fit all of the Western part of Europe <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in like the Eastern seaboard of the U.S., right? It's like, it's not a hundred percent. It's not hard to get anywhere. And that was the like mind blowing thing to me. And of course I've traveled outside the U S before, but, For sure. yeah. um, you know, you're not traveling around Europe like crazy unless you're a backpacker or something. Right. Yeah. So um, for me, the first year of living in, in Denmark, it was amazing to just get on a flight and be in Spain and get on another flight hours. and be in France and yeah. then get another flight and be in the UK or, Greece um, or Turkey or, yeah, or like go further. Morocco. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think for most most people say that the longest flight within Europe is about three to four hours. Yeah. Tops. Yeah. So that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. I mean, I that's, think that's the a New York flight to... actually might be, I think it's like somewhere, I think it's probably like a, a Sweden or, or Helsinki to like Canary Islands, which is probably like just over four hours. Yeah. Right. But that's also like Canary Islands are also like in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean or not the middle, but they're a couple hundred, they're, they're pretty far off Portugal. Yeah. But I mean, I, I took a, I took a flight from Copenhagen to uh, Lisbon and I think it was three hours, yeah. three, three And that's like one of those are like two almost different corners of, of Europe. Yeah. So. And I mean, you can go from being cold to warm in three hours where yeah. in the, in the U S you're still cold. Yeah. Or, or or warm oh right? warm yeah i mean of course you have like florida and other places for sure but i mean i mean three hours is barely getting you to florida from new york yeah you know pretty much so so like it kind of shows people it's like do you want to go to florida do you want to go to spain yeah but right. then living here now for four years i do get a little bit like oh three hours like wow, yeah three hours like but you know new york to la we forget about that right i do new york to la two to four times a month i, I used exactly. to do it all the time and yeah. it wouldn't even like you know blink an eye yep now if someone tells me i have to sit on a plane for like five hours i'm like just add three more and i can be in new york i look i look forward days. to those flights honestly like i just sit there and do i'm so productive on planes i don't know about you but like planes and trains i get the most amount of work done i just stare <laughs> just stare i stare out the window i stare at my seat i stare on the floor i stare at people you listen to music i'm, I'm boring you, yeah you, okay. i listen to music but got it's it. like the same album over and over again got it okay. it's like a plane to me it's like i'm sitting on a bus got it i would like it to be more productive are you getting are you getting thoughts to your head or no you're just a blank slate pretty much blank so so you're like openly meditating then pretty much that's 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 still very powerful and beneficial i guess so i guess you could if you put it <laughs> i mean yeah now you've put it in a way that makes me feel a little bit better about flying good good <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think something you and I talked about yesterday, it's just like I, from people that would just catch a glimpse of my Instagram randomly, see me traveling, they're like, oh, this boy's spending 10 grand on these tickets in business class between, you know, Asia and US and Europe and US. But like, I tell everyone, like, I'm not paying for these. No, but I, I love, I love when I follow you on Instagram. The funny part to me is when you... You you leave out all the other parts of like <laughs> travel, yeah. like no TSA for you, no um, annoying uh, person I behind you in front TSA. of you. I'm like all these things that like make travel uh, terrible. It's just like you go from like sitting yeah. on business class to on top of a mountain taking a deep breath, being like, "Yep, I did that." Yeah, and yeah. I, I'm and I'm always like, "No, no, no, you forgot a few of the parts so, in the story." So he here's here's the one thing that everyone's always tried to get me to talk about, and I think you finally might have pulled this out of out of me, right? If you travel a lot and you do it correctly, you don't deal with those things. You you can't control the crazy person on the plane or the someone being an asshole stuff like that. But like when you have status on an airline, for me it's Delta, as you as we talked about yesterday. Um, everything is kind of handed to you, right? So like I'll fly, like, usually I can book a round trip ticket from New York to LA for around two to $400, depending on the weekend, depending on the day. It's pretty like, I'm, I have no problem paying for that, especially because I usually have a client paying for it anyways. 
And then about 90% of the time, I'm upgraded to the first or business class equivalent because of my status on Delta. Also within that, I have my own security line. I use something called a clear that was given to me for free where I don't even have to show my idea. They just scan my eyes and I uh, walk I through. I used to have clear. I yeah. don't know what happened to it though. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to pay for it every year, right? Yeah, Unless okay, they give it to so, That's so, what happened to it. So, but, but the thing is, is like I basically, at JFK, I show up 30 minutes before boarding, right? I get through security, even if I have to check a bag because I have like my own like bag line because for status. And I'm usually through TSA pre within about three or four minutes. A minute later, I'm in the Amex lounge. I usually am grabbing a snack or having a drink sending out a couple last minute emails. Then I walk right onto the plane, get in my seat. And then I'm usually one of the first people off the plane and just go right in an Uber. Like it's, it's, we call that travel well done. Travel well done. <laughs> but the thing is, is, is something I realized is my friend asked me, um, you know, I don't want to kind of expose myself here, but he, last year I traveled a lot, right? Last year I traveled like 160,000 miles around the planet. I lived in Copenhagen for a month, lived in Paris for a month. I lived in Cape Town for a month. I uh, rented nice rental cars and lived like traveled around the U.S. for months. Um, I lived in Seattle in the year. Like I was all over the place. I was, you know, carte blanche on food. I was staying in nice hotels. I was staying in nice Airbnbs. I was I was really enjoying myself. And someone asked me, they're like, "That looks really expensive." And I said, "It's actually not. It's if you're willing to gain the system, you're willing to use points and status and spend the time to look for the right Airbnb, the right dates, the right hotel, like." I, as you know, all my flights were first in business class. All the Airbnbs were nice. All the food I was eating was good. And I think I maybe spent 40 grand for 12 months of travel last year, which people are like, that's a lot of money. When you think about it on a monthly basis, it's yeah, less. On business class alone, where yeah. some flights cost 10,000. Exactly. And if you think about it like that, like most people spend more than their on their yearly rent in New York without even thinking about it. Not even including drinks, not even including food, right? And so, well, yeah, well, also, like, you, you, you're, you didn't mention that you're like a nomad in a way sure. as well. So, I, it, it does ground me. I do like the movement, right? Yeah. If I don't, if I don't travel for a few, like, I think this, this is going to sound bad. And I'm someone who does meditate daily and is very grounded self wise, I believe. If I don't travel, if I don't move or go on a trip or an adventure within like a 10 day period, I go nuts. Yeah, I mean, it, what is it? Adrenaline in some sense? Yeah, I am an adrenaline junkie. Like I do enjoy the more like crazy. Like I used to be a mountain bike racer and like fly off cliffs and stuff mm. like that. So I think that's definitely part of it. But I still love doing that. But I think for me, it's just like the experience of seeing new places and new things, or even the same thing. Like favorite places. Like I love Yosemite National Park in California. Mm. Like I can go there every day of the week, and I will still be just as happy as the day before. Right. I also love like type two fun. Like hiking up some mountain in the freezing cold, just enjoying it. Like I love the physical exertion. I love the thinking. I love the thought. To me, that constant movement and the variables of logistics just grounds me. Like it gives me, it doesn't give me purpose. That's the wrong way of phrasing it. But it, it just, it allows me to just open my mind 100%. And I'm like most creative and most productive when I spend like a month on an Airbnb in the middle of nowhere. Hmm. I, I believe the same as well. I'm also the type when it comes to travel, it's just like I love being immersed in a yeah. different culture. Uh, getting off the plane, heading out to the hotel, the Airbnb, and then going straight out into the world. The yeah. community kind of like feeling like I'm a local in that mm -hmm. place, even for a week or two. Uh, but for me, it's yeah. like that emergence of culture, mm. feeling like I'm just like dipped in it like food. No, for sure. And I, people ask me like, how would you define how long it takes for you to live to like say you've lived in a place? Right. And mm -hmm. I don't like that question. People are like, oh, how many places have you lived? I'm like, I don't care. I'm not counting. Mm. Right. But to me is, are you buying groceries? Are you adhering to local customs? Are you trying new things? Are you are you living a different life than you would at home? 
that to me is living in a different place. You could you could live in a new place in three days. I agree. You could, you could be doing I think buying groceries is a, a major part of it. For sure. Because when you are just visiting, vacationing, you're eating out, right? You're eating out, for so sure. The, if you get a fridge and you put some food in it, like actual yeah. perishable mm-hmm. items <laughs> yeah i think you've made it in, into and localness interestingly enough like i by by this same like moniker i know certain new yorkers that really haven't lived in new york yet because i know people that move there for a job and that job pays for everything and they've never they like they haven't bought groceries in a year then like buying champagne at the corner store whiskey doesn't count no, no. right <laughs> like buying and cooking a meal from scratch right because there's so many people in new york that just move there and eat out all the time because they Which can afford is it nuts nuts <laughs> nuts i i don't think people understand how expensive new york city is like copenhagen is an expensive place but new york is fucking expensive well i'll tell you that when i was there um, i never hit my friends up i'd always yeah. wait till a friend would hit me up and that mm-hmm. would be on a sunday and you know it'd be like a max three people who i would hang out with each week yeah because that's about 300 dollars each person for sure because you know you get two drinks 15 mm-hmm. each right maybe it's, it's 20 easily. these days yeah it's 20 20 25 <laughs> exactly and then you're not getting one drink you're getting two so that's mm-hmm. about 40 each yeah and then you're like oh we need food now because yeah. we've been drinking a hundred dollars later and a hundred dollars later boom that yeah. that's in the can and then you do that with the next and then your ubers and your subway and exactly your, and your, yeah it's and also you're also paying rent you're also paying some of the highest income taxes in the entire country. Yeah, true. Especially if, like, the more money you make, the more you're paying in New York. Like, the wealth tax there is insane. And then beyond that, like, it's just, like, everything is just more, right? If, like, you're buying the exact same bananas that you would in even, like, upstate New York or, like, across the river New Jersey or out in Staten on Long Island, right? Like, the bananas cost more and you're being taxed more for them. But also, <laughs> and that actually, for me in Copenhagen, that was interesting because mm-hmm. – I realized there's a lot of free things you can do here where I feel like I couldn't do in New York. Right? Yeah. People here go for walks. Yes. People will go to a garden or a park. Yeah. And, and just it's beautiful. Yeah. And people just walk around like, mm-hmm. you know, they're Which you back can do in, in New the York. 1700s. Yeah. Yeah. People do, don't do that as much, though. As I don't much. think that I've ever had a friend that said to me, like, hey, do you want to just go for a walk? I'd It'd t- have to be a coffee, a drink. It has to be something. So actually, we should really talk about this. Um, but my second point is like, I, I'm, I'm not, you know me, I'm the big walking person. Like I, I, I walk about 10 miles a day at least. Right. Nice. Um, having the past few days, cause I'm like, my sleep schedule has been, I went to bed at five mm. this morning. My sleep schedule is still fucked. Cause I was in LA two days ago. Of course. Right. But there's this recent string of tweets. Um, I follow a lot of people in like the entrepreneur tech VC space on, on Twitter. Right. A lot of them are New York based. That's where I mostly do most of my work. And they were talking about how, if you are sober, in New York City and trying to grow a company or network, it is nearly impossible. No, because everything is done over a drink. Yes, everything. Everything is done over a drink. Which is super unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I also feel like it's it's a part of the work culture. I've also been in situations where I remember one time when I was at Squarespace, we ate at a really, really, really nice restaurant that you know, you know, this, those yeah. places where you can't get a booking for a month or two. Yeah, it's like and, 450 a person. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I remember we got off the plane, straight off the plane from New York, and it was 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. That's 12 o'clock in New York time, right? Yeah. And uh, we had to be up at 6 o'clock in the morning for a campaign. Of course. Everyone was eating steak and all this big, heavy food. Yeah. And I remember just staring at it being like, I'm so tired. I can't drink. I can't eat. I can't do anything right now because yeah. I want to go to sleep. Correct. But that's like, that's how we prepped for the the next Correct. thing that we're doing tomorrow and everyone made you know had you know we bought a client that we were with a partner everything is done 
you know at a dinner or a right. drink yeah and you kind of have to adhere to that uh that vibe yeah and even if you're at, like at a lunch it's not uncommon for them to order like to drink like two whiskeys at lunch yeah even like in and out of finance like even in tech even in, like a healthy tech startup you still yeah. find it it's it's Lucky. weird. I think it's changing. I hope it changes, right? And I I've, I've been trying to like in New York at least be like I want to go out and not drink. And then I it, it quickly falls apart, right? But Well, I feel like after COVID, people at least should be open to going for walks more because mm. I feel like that's all you could do during COVID, for like sure. small walks. So maybe now people would be more open to just saying like, "Hey, let's go for a walk or like let's grab a quick coffee and then walk and talk." Or, you know, things yeah. of that nature. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I know people that rescued dogs during the pandemic as first and foremost because they wanted a dog, right? So number two, very close second because they want to be required to walk at least a couple miles every day. <laughs> you know, being like, okay, well, I'm going to walk the dogs. So I might as well. I have to. I have to, right? <laughs> or you, you sh- really should, right? Yeah. Um, For the health of you and the dog. I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's something where there's definitely an issue with alcohol where I think the average person in New York drinks way 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 above average yeah like it has to be three to four times i I think in copenhagen it it is quite high as well because culturally uh it's acceptable to drink very early in age i think for people here you can drink at 16 years old Um, in public it's in public yeah yeah. Uh, and also we have a a in public policy where you can drink outside you can drink in the street you can drink take a bottle of wine and go to the park which uh, is fantastic. Really good way. date yeah. idea, by the way, here yeah. in Copenhagen. A wine in the park or a wine by the canal or yeah. any water source. Same in P- Paris also. That same, that same rule applies. Yeah. yeah. So that that's a really like a go-to situation uh, in the summertime. Uh, but yeah, drinking culture. I mean, there was a movie, I think that's called like Drank, Drunk or mm-hmm. something. Uh, that is like all about Danish drinking culture with Mass Mikkelsen. So I think this is on a flight. I think it's on Delta. I think yeah, I, watched I didn't this. watch it because I was just too prideful to not have to watch a Danish movie. So my girlfriend, sure. my girlfriend was like, "You have to watch it. It, it won this. It won that. It's like our big yeah, claim to fame." It's. It, it, I think it won can yeah, this, this it, past year. But yeah, long story short, I think it's about these high school teachers that basically decide they're going to live every second of their waking uh, day yes, drunk. Yeah. Right. And it's it, it, apparently it's very like uh, true to scenario. Oh. Yeah. Like Danish people are like, this is exactly what it's like. Well, I started the movie and. I remember it started with the, there's this like famous beer race in the summer where they the run they run with the crate of 24 beers and they have to like stop at different stay points and drink a beer and they you, you're drunk but end up walking this you're drunk and your your heart rate's at 200 and but I, I remember watching this and I realized it was in Danish and I was just like the first time I started I was like I, I cannot do a Danish movie right now yeah like this will come, this will come exactly to well, well we're on the on the drinking topic and I'm gonna like leave yeah. you with this this last note um, here in Denmark when you were in high school which is called gymnasium. Uh, yeah, you're graduating yeah. yeah yeah which is funny to me because i remember seeing people and this is a side note to anybody who has ever been on a dating app yeah i remember seeing like and i'm not looking for high schoolers yeah. but i remember <laughs> seeing people saying that they were like you know where you work gymnasium and i'm like everyone works at the gym yeah <laughs> and yeah. apparently that's like people just saying like I, i'm in high school or i finished high school yeah the age is a bit different here but, but even then people will say like they may have graduated four years ago and they'll still have it in their bio exactly like that i learned that when i was also here in august like yeah, no one on no one's apps. changing their like September their job constantly on, no but on but also apps. beyond that like i th- at first i was like swiping the first day i was like wow these all these women are gymnasts that's really cool. <laughs> i was like i was like they all work at the gym i was like wow that's why everyone's fit and beautiful yeah, yeah. but i was gonna say that um when you're graduating uh they do this tradition where everybody jumps on this big pickup truck think like <laughs> almost like a, a a pickup truck that soldiers would use to like like be a parade, like a parade float truck exactly yeah. And they would be taken from uh, each person's household where mm. then they have to drink 
uh, at the household, eat some snacks, and then they jump onto the truck again, Jesus. and then they go to another house. And if you think about how many people are in your like class, class your home yeah. class, that could be about easily 30 people. Yeah. So they start at 10 a.m. in the morning, and they go all the way into night, and they're just drinking at every house, at every house, and they get drunk. And every year, someone falls off the truck and dies. <laughs> every year. And never fails. Or Is every- there a Danish word for that? Death, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But the thing is, what's crazy about Oopsie. it is that they always they always have like these uh, whistles and yeah. they're honking the horn. Yeah. So it's this time of the year where it's constant horns going off, <laughs> whistles, loud I music, piss drunk kids yeah. in these white hats. They're all, we call them the white hats because they always wearing these little white kind of like graduation uh, oh, hats. And, you know, photos. they have these like things that they write in the hats if you throw up in the hat because you're too drunk or if you drink out the hat. All these weird things they do. But it's so funny to me that that's a part of the culture. And yeah. even during COVID, yeah. they still allowed these kids to conjugate into trucks, well, go around to different people's houses, get drunk, and enjoy yeah. it because that's such a part of the culture here. That's one thing is, is Danish culture can be summarized by one single sentence. Culture and tradition above every other fucking single. Exactly. Thing. Exactly. It's amazing. And, and it, I mean, for people here, you know, it's it's important that they can feel these roots, yeah. you know, like, you know, it's, it's very skull. homogenous culture versus like you say American culture, like, okay, that is a beautiful mix of many different things. It could be some like, you know, there's like, obviously, as you know, I've talked about there's, there's a racist part, there's an immigrant part, there's a, uh, a war part, a capitalist there's a part. capitalist part, there's a, there's it's just this, almost this beautiful tapestry. And I think that even though there's a lot of ugliness in our history, and a lot of ugliness still right now. Together, overall, it kind of lends itself to beauty. Yeah, and I think that's a bit of the brainwash that we get as kids. Cause For sure. We, we can look at all these na- terrible things and we're like, but it's still best, the best place in the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's but still in, wonderful. Uh, exactly. But in Denmark, they do have this tradition. They do. It, it does make them a little bit less, pro- uh, I guess, progressive and, and quick to yeah. kind of like global norms and mm-hmm. changes that are happening. But tradition is important. You know, Very there, important. There's still a healthy amount of holidays that mm-hmm. they do certain things and you know there's some weird ones aren't there yeah i mean there's one where uh, i think it's called saint henning day where they they light up like what would be a a person but it's an actual like like wood figure and they they light them on fire what's the purpose i'm not 100 percent sure to be honest but (laughs) i swear to you it's like uh, you know kind of like this uh, like almost like a a, a life-size person yeah uh that's like a doll or something that they put on fire so it's like their version of so it's actually like it happens actually during like what swedish people call midsummer which is celebrating summer that's danish uh celebrating summer have you experienced midsummer yet uh, I have not because it's actually for Sweden. But no, I know. But did you, I'm wondering, did you go up there? I did not go up there, but yeah. I've spoken to Swedish friends because you know mm-hmm. it's the neighbor. Yeah, and it's you know it's they run around a tree. Yeah. and sing. Danish yeah. people they burn up what would be a fake person. Yeah, uh, and watch it burn by the water. But there are two similarities. Lots of weird pickled fish. Yeah, well, I mean that's just how it is always, right? Yeah, pickled fish. Really good, like. Some, in my opinion, it's a pretty good pickled fish. But. Yeah, okay. I'm not a pickled anything person. Really? Any, I mean, not even pickles? I used to like pickles back in the day, but I, sure. I've kind of let them go as you a kid. You grew up in Queens, right? No, I, so I grew up in New York, uh, New York on the Upper West Side. Upper West Side. Um, and also, I had a stint in New Why Jersey. Why do I think you, you grew up in Queens? Mm. I actually don't know because I haven't gone to Queens that much. As a as a youngster, but I did date a girl in Queens once. That's what I've been at. Yeah, yeah. I think, think you. I remember. I remember some a vivid some story in my head. Just remember you talking about Queens, Queens, Queens. Yeah, I've been that. I dated a girl in Queens. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna shout her out though. But no, I know, no, no, no. But I know she's good now. She's got a boyfriend, so good. she's happy. Good. You don't want to. You don't want to ruin that. No, no, no. I don't want to <laughs> ruin that at all. And your parents are still in New York, right? 
Yeah, so my mom's in New Jersey. Got it. Um, my dad passed a few years ago, but he's from the Bronx originally. Okay. Um, and uh, I have some family in Long Island and all over the city and yeah. in New Jersey as well. And she's complaining you're living here now, right? Of course. I'm sorry? She's complaining you're living here now? Uh, I mean, they, they started out complaining originally. It used yeah. to be like, oh, like, how much time do you think you're going to do this for? Well, maybe three, four, whatever. And now she's like, you still like it? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, a little Has she come bit. over here yet? She hasn't come over here yet. She's old school when it comes to planes and i think her her one of you know she's been to la to see her family there and the flight she took from guatemala to us was kind of it so i think for i'm for sure she's gotten she renewed her passport and i'm hoping she comes soon as well but definitely yeah because your mom is from guatemala and your dad is from the bronx Bronx, yeah yeah originally from the bronx uh and uh, he's uh, African American. My mom is yeah from uh, Guatemala. Guatemalese. What is the proper? Uh, Guatemalan. Guatemalan. Yeah, makes sense. And then I don't uh, know why I just thought. Yeah, that. and then I have like <laughs> yeah, I have some family that's from Belize as well. Yeah, um, that's from cool. That area. Yeah, and you've been down there, right? I have not been to Guatemala, but I've been to Nicaragua before, Got which it. is like the neighbor of Guatemala. So I have a friend in Guatemala right now, and I I didn't know that. I, I thought I knew this, but it's like a very volcanic place. It is a very volcanic right? place. And they were just yeah. like, yeah, we, we hiked up to 13,000 feet. And we, we slept at night. And it's super mountainous. Like, yeah, for like sure. I, when they, I saw my grandpa last time I was uh, visiting because he was spontaneously in the U.S. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we have to come visit you. But I heard there's like tons of like earthquakes and like crazy like uh, tsunamis and the floods. And he's like, I live in the mountains. You don't have to worry about that stuff. Yeah. He's like, the tsunamis don't touch us. Yeah. He was like, <laughs> I have to, uh, we have earthquakes, but we don't have any water problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, th- I, th- I think that it's just so fascinating. And, and I'm, I've, I view you and I as pretty global people that have been to quite a few places and seen things. And I'm always like, people are always shocked. And I'm like, Oh, that's so cool. They're like, how'd you not know? I'm like, well, if I haven't been there, I won't really know. Like, exactly. I, mean, I guess went all day in Wikipedia and be like, Oh, Guatemala is a volcanic place. It's like, great like a neolithic rock like who who gives but a also rock? i don't want right? to be the guy who knows everything has been nowhere exactly that's also right kind of that's 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 a very american thing yeah me. yeah it's like oh the the foreign policy of north korea is quite um disadvantageous people's like yeah but that's what we've seen have you been there no i would never go yeah, okay you, you would not know that if it's actually true or not for sure it's reading it's there not. are so many tropes in travel that i love hearing especially from like the suburban I don't, I don't want to put it like the suburban mom. I, I always hear it from that. Like, oh, this place is so dangerous. And the actual thing is that like almost every city in the world is safer than like parts of Mexico, the U.S. and Colombia. And yeah, but also like when you when you hear people say that, it's so stupid because then when you look at the news in the U.S., yeah. I mean, we're all kind of like just living with it like it's the, the norm. For sure. But I mean like school, like shootings, school shootings and crazy things shooting, that happen. Shooting downtown. Yeah. Someone goes on a rampage. Someone drives a truck into a crowd. Versus like in Europe, like one person gets shot and all of Europe is like, wow, that's that's crazy. Insane. Insane. Yeah. And I mean, I think the one thing about the US too, which is funny with the suburban moms is that like, yeah, it looks nice. Mm. You walk outside and the grass is green and yeah. it's sunny and it looks nice. Mm. But it's still very bad when there's a yeah. shooting down the street, right? For sure. Uh, but of course, when you live in a place that is a third world country, mm-hmm. it doesn't match up to your green grass. For sure. It's also subject, it's completely subjective due to privilege, right? Like a good example is so I spent, and I'm headed back to Cape Town next week. I spent about a month there in November of last year. And all the things I heard about Cape Town the first week, I was like, this everyone's super friendly even the sketchy guy on the street corner that's like trying borderline like being aggressive with you trying to get money from you like they're all at the end of the day is friendlier than a new york homeless person no, for sure right? 
right? And but but here's the one piece of like my lens that was complete privilege, right? Being a tall white male, right? I ran into a couple travelers there who were girls, and they're also from also the U.S. and Europe, also white. Their experience in Cape Town is very different, right? It is like not safe to be a woman there solo. Like, yeah, it's it's just not safe. They're like you like even if you're like oh I'm going from this bar to that bar it's three blocks away in New York absolutely fine no problems in Cape Town take a cab. Yeah, and I mean right? it, it it comes down to those norms right those social sure. and like geolog geo norms where people depending on you know who you are what you yeah. look like and where you're living mm -hmm. um you get a different uh kind of reality for of sure. the place and I mean living in Copenhagen it was the same for me when I first moved here. I moved to a place that was uh, presumpt presumptive to be not so nice for mm -hmm. Copenhagers. Yeah. And it was culture. It was like Muslim, Africans, and, and whatnot. And that was weird to me because I was like, I moved here and I was like, I didn't know there were any people other than white people here. Yeah. And that's really like ignorant to say, of course, but um, you don't see that side because sure. it's not shared. It's not documented in the, the industry, the marketing industry, and the fashion industry um, here in Copenhagen. But um, it was funny because being in those settings, you know, because I wasn't uh, Nigerian, like born or mm -hmm. uh, from certain Arab countries, people just kind of looked at me like, okay, he's just a random guy mm. who kind of looks a little bit up, but you know, like us, but who's not us. So I, I was, you know, in some ways ignored, kind of it's like, like pseudo racism a little bit. Yeah, I was yeah. a bit ignored, but also kind of just like, you know, let let to be. They just let me be. Let you fly. Yeah, Which I just kind of flowed around. Yeah, versus in America, they might yell at you. Here, they just ignore you. Yeah, exactly. I was just yeah. flowing through markets and places and not really, like, I didn't yeah. exist almost. For sure. But, like, I think the one thing is that I need to point across is, is Copenhagen is a very diverse city intellectually, but not racially. It no. It's mostly white people. Yeah. Like and 99% I mean, or something? Yeah. Well, I think Copenhagen proper, like the center of the city in certain kind of like high income areas yeah. is quite, quite white. Quite white. Um, but there is another side of Copenhagen that I think people aren't aware of. There's a huge mm -hmm. Muslim population here, um, immigrants from yeah. Somali and mm -hmm. um, a lot of parts of like Africa as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's something that it's like half the flight traffic into Copenhagen. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's heavy, and yeah. I mean that's something that you won't see unless you live here in, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, and that's and that was kind of a, a, a interesting eye opener for me as well. Yeah. yeah. Now, so so you you've given me a couple stories over the years of what it's like being a black male or a black human being in Copenhagen. Do you have any commentary from that whole experience? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I remember my, um, I guess you would call him the maintenance guy at my apartment before I moved here. And I remember him telling me uh, as I was uh, kind of doing my last uh, walkout uh, before I, I leave my apartment and move here. Yeah. And he was like, oh, like, I heard you moving to Denmark. Like, is there any black people there? <laughs> He's a black guy, of course. Good question. And uh, I was like, no. <laughs> and I'm, it yeah. sounds so stupid now saying that because obviously I didn't do the research and even now I'd probably think to myself like where would I even start in researching that but yeah. um yeah I was I, I was I was curious in some ways and, and and not in other ways moving here because you know I grew up in the US where there's racism in different mm -hmm. different ways and different strokes for different folks right yeah. so you don't really you don't think like okay could it get worse yeah. and here it actually isn't so much about my skin color it's more about that I'm American that you don't speak uh, Danish that I don't speak Danish yeah. that I'm actually not European, even that I'm mm -hmm. from another continent. Yeah, and uh, coming here as and now a, you're American with it. Yeah, coming here as an American, it can give 
you know, it can give different impressions like anywhere. Some For people, sure. they like Americans, they like Hollywood, they <laughs> like movies, they like, uh, you know, celebrities, they like, you yeah. know, the 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 energy that we bring to certain rooms, yeah. they like the entrepreneurship, uh, the, you know, that type of world. And some people were tasteless organisms. Yeah, okay, exactly. And some people were just you like You can pick up on it pretty quickly. They that, look at you like, oh, are you an American? And that's when I usually just break into French. And, yeah. No, but <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, of course, like you have like those who also, you know, get into the whole conversation on like politics, like are you a yeah. Trumper or not, those type mm -hmm. of things. But I mean, for so the me, the first question I was asked half the time when I met people, they're like, "Oh, you're American? Did you like Trump?" I'm like, yeah, no. But people are like that. For you sure. know, you do get that yeah. across the dinner table sometimes, mm -hmm. and sometimes they're jokingly like asking you, but they really want to know. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wait until you reach. The Is guy that a very one. Danish thing? I feel like I get a lot of questions asked in like a haha joking way, but they look at you like. They're like waiting for an answer. Yeah, like, it is. It is. It is. It is definitely yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think people here they're like they're not ever trying to be rude, mm. and they're not ever trying to say anything that's completely yeah. straightforward. Uh, so a lot of times they'll say like, oh, like uh, maybe we should go out tonight, or maybe we should go down the street, or maybe we should do this, mm -hmm. and maybe just means like we should do it. But I'm too scared and I'm too like non-confronting to say to you that we should do it. So beta. Yeah, yeah. real beta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, culturally beta in <laughs> culturally a lot of ways. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, to the black thing, there is one thing I'll say about it. Uh, I had a one weird incident when someone thought I was stealing a bike once. I can't tell if he was a tourist or if he, he was Danish or not, um, but it was outside my apartment, which was my bike, yeah. um, which made me a little bit annoyed. Otherwise, I think that in the dating scene, I've had a lot of you know fetishes of uh, Danish girls thinking it was cool to date me because I was exotic in some way. Got it. Um, and you know, take what you which want from it. Which is racism. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. So that definitely um, comes up at times. For sure. Um, and I don't yeah. think it's also like you and I talked about this last time we hung out in September. It's, I, I think as you said, let me see if I can paraphrase what you said. You said it's not that they're inherently racist. It's just, they're just not used to it. No, they're not used to it. And sometimes they're just not informed enough. For I sure. Think, in like a lot during of BLM, you had a couple weird run-ins with people, right? Where people yeah. didn't understand what was going well, on. Well, I think not so much with people, but, but in the workplace and a lot of times, yeah. like, I won't get into the place where I was at, but I did uh, during, you know, everyone was involved with BLM during, uh, you know, George Floyd and all these different uh, kind of sparks that was happening around the yeah, world Taylor, and especially in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And um, I was a part of the BLM march here. And I remember coming into the office the next day and my boss looking at me being like, oh, I saw your Instagrams over the weekend and I, you were quite active about the subject. And like, I didn't know how you were going to feel when you walked in today and like, um, do you, and it was kind of like he was thinking I was going to walk in with my fists held high being yeah. like black power <laughs> and um, it's it, he missed the point yeah. and I think there's a lot of times you missed the boat entirely. you missed the boat entirely and I think there tends to be for some uh, and I'm not and it can range between age ranges and demographics and locations in Denmark for some like other places people tend to be behind the band the, the wagon of cultural shifts yeah. and um, what's right and what's wrong and what's acceptable to say and what's not. Um, and I think that tends to be because people are still, you know, they're stuck to what's happening in yeah. their world, in their bubble. Um, yeah. And it can be a bubble here sometimes. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I have realized 
that spending i think i think i spent a collective like 40 days in go bidding in my life now which is enough to like understand it I think. it's pretty good though for right? most for sure i mean yeah. you spent now what 16 1700 1800 days here. yeah yeah it's pretty good I, i'm still here i get still people here. all the time who are like i came to copenhagen i only lasted six months i'm like yeah. man i'm still here what, what, what why do you think that is i think that it's the it's the maybe it's funny because like so much of being a new yorker and being someone who has this like East Coast hustle mentality. But I think that energy of being that mentality coming from uh, a family where like, you know, my my dad grew up in the ghetto in a really rough neighborhood and uh, my mom grew up in a third world country. Um, they are fighters, they're believers, they're people who put themselves out there and fight for what they believe in, what they want. And I'm a fighter and I'm a hustler just like them as well, I think for naturally. Sure. Yeah. So um, where a lot of people might bow out and be like, this is just too much. or like, Complaining doesn't exist to them. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> which is like good and bad for sure. Because sure. I mean, like you should be able to know when it's too much or you should be able to seek help. But I definitely believe that I've been the type of person who just fights for what I want. And um, just because I've been knocked down doesn't mean that I can't get up. Uh, and that's something that they've instilled in, in me. So it's, you have, you know, you that's have to push yourself forward. That's a very American ideal too, right? It's like this idea of uncompromising drive towards success, which yeah. can also be toxic, right? But it can be toxic. And I mean, I will tell you, uh, you know, for anyone who follows me on Instagram, I make it look like it's smooth. It's yes. not. And I mean, like that, I'm also very guilty of, you know, playing that, um, you know, I'm marketing myself that way. But it, it can be slightly hard. Um, it can't be slightly hard, you know, when, when, uh, living in another country. Yeah. And, but I think, I think honestly, you and I talked about this and I, I think I've said 18 times, you and I've talked about this yesterday or last month, but before you and I have discussed this idea that you really define a new version of yourself and you go live in a new place, right? Like every place you do something new, whether you're there for a week in Greece or you're there, there for a month in some other place or for something sure. like that. Is there any other places on your radar that you really want to spend a good amount of time? Yeah, I mean, I have this um, idealism for Japan. I know it's not yes. realistic, though. Uh, <laughs> I love Japan. I've heard a lot of bad things. <laughs> for sure. But, uh, I, you know, I just, I think for me, it would be nice to be in a place that's like a complete culture shift. I think Denmark is, it's that for sure. But uh, Japan would be like a lost in translation moment for me. Yeah. Uh, I think Barcelona uh, in Spain also has like a, a huge, like, um, creative uh, space. I think it could be nice to tap into mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, there is like those in the Londons of the world uh, where it's just amazing uh, opportunity. Yeah, the with, New York of Europe. Yeah, right? exactly. So, so that, that that could be an, an opportunity as well. But I'm I'm an open op op opportunist mm -hmm. at the moment. I think it could be Sweden. It could be other places. But um, I've also mentioned to you over drinks uh, yeah. that I would definitely love to live uh, in the south of France or somewhere sure. super sleepy and quiet for sure. <laughs> because I'm, you know, I tend to get really, you know, worn out from the projects I do. I like the balance. I think you and I talked about this, right? It's yeah. like, I, I would love the south of France it's probably eight to nine months of the year. The other three, I'm going to want to be in like a Tokyo or a New York. Or, no, for sure. Yeah. I think the balance between the fast pace and the mm -hmm. slow pace yeah. uh, is what I like. And I think that's also what Copenhagen can offer as well as that sure. work-life balance. That it's a very uh, It's a very adaptive city, right? So... So one thing I've learned is that like living in New York, living in Soho when I did, right? Whether it was a Tuesday or a Saturday, it was basically just as busy outside at 8, 8 to 10 p.m., yeah. right? They're really they're like, obviously Saturday would be a little bit busier during the day, yeah, for sure. but like it's still pretty standard versus like Copenhagen on a Wednesday, dead. Mm -hmm. Copenhagen on a Friday, it's like carnival. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the city opens up when it, I think Thursday night until Saturday, it's, 
it's opened up. And People, Sunday is about recovery exactly, and rest. family yeah. and those type of things. Yeah. But I think that I like that balance though. Cause mm. I'm, I'm again, out of the hustle now in, in, in some senses yeah. uh, that I, I like having a balance of like a, a pace that, you know, gradually uh, increases throughout the week. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I, I also think though, as someone like my work schedule, my travel schedule doesn't lend it well to living mm. like a, like every Saturday is the same Saturday. Every like I some days like my Tuesday will be like Saturday and my Sunday will be like a Monday. You know, mm. like who who knows, right? And so it's hard for me sometimes when I'm just like, oh, I have to work all day tomorrow and it's Saturday and I'm in Copenhagen. And it's like, oh boy, like it's like if anyone's available to do anything, it's tomorrow, exactly. right? And also people are we talked about this before, but people book out here like four weeks in advance. Yeah, I mean, people like their schedule. They like to, to know what's in front of them during mm-hmm. the week and the next week. Uh, I think that's a bit funny. My girlfriend's also the same as well. When we yeah. started dating, I mentioned to you that, um, you know, it took her, you know, she's always the type who's like always looking to figure out when is it uh, best to do certain things. And I'm like, I'm spontaneous. I'm yeah. just like, we can do it today at eight. Or we can do it tomorrow at one. Yeah. But like, let's just so see like, how it it's goes. It's a Wednesday, Ruben. You're like, so it's a Wednesday. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely like more of a spontaneous type. Yeah. And even being here for four years, I still have that way of doing I'm it. Gonna, I'm going to quality a days of the week kind of guy. Yeah. Right? Like I don't view Sunday or Monday. Like I love Mondays just because I don't, I could never live in a world where I attach so much emotion to a day of the week. Mm. Like I think so many cultures, especially American culture, especially English culture here, like Fridays are incredible elated days. Mondays are like, Oh fuck, I'm going back to school or work. But to yeah. me, it's just like, cool. Like Mondays where I start my week, Sundays are a reflective day. It just happened to balance up because that's when most people are available for meetings and not available. Right. And it's like, I understand that most people live in this construct of days of the week. Right. I don't, I know you don't as well, No, but I also take advantage of it, right? I'm like, cool, I'm going to make my reflective day the day that I know most people will never bother me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I take advantage of things like that. Yeah. But also, like, in some cultures, like, when I was in the Middle East, like, you know, Saturday, is it Saturday is their holy day, right? As in, I can't, in, I'm not 100% sure. For sure. I think, yeah. I, I might even think, it might be confusing Jewish and Islamic culture. No, maybe. But, like, sat- Saturday in a couple of religions is, like, the special day versus Sunday in Christian. That's, like, all, all of our weekly calendars yeah, is sure. based on the church right that's it's, it's how, yeah. how it's always been it's always you know white old men in a, yeah, in a building exactly. with, made of stone making decisions and sunday's holy day yeah, yeah. like the, the the vatican churches the u.s capitol building <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> i'm kidding but no but like seriously it's like i i think gary vaynerchuk hmm. right uh another new york guy um big jets fan so i don't know what came to my head funny. but funny but um he he basically has this video about Fridays. Um, and he, was, he starts out by saying like, I fucking hate Fridays. He's like, if you're someone who like hates your week and complains the entire time and is like, so thankful it's Friday. So thankful for the weekend. Like your life's broken, man. Yeah. Like because Friday, everyone puts things down for sure. Yeah. Right. Versus like people like you and I, we don't put anything down. No, I don't, I don't put down my camera. I don't put down my, my, my emails or my, well, my things, things don't but, stop. Yeah. Things don't stop. But also I like that. It keeps me alive. But also because I think you and I are two rare people in this world to be genuinely, I enjoy like 99% of the time I spend nowadays. Mm. There's very little discomforting or displeasurable things I have to do. Like I live a very privileged life. I know you do as well. Mm. Right. Yeah. But like, it's quite nice to be like, I'll get to go do, go do more work now. It's like, oh, I'm actually going to stay up all night and do this project versus like it, for some people, it's like, oh, I have to stay up and finish yeah. this for work. But I also think it has something to do a bit with what your interests are. For and sure. If your interest is in your work, then that also drives you to continue to want to do it like, yeah. no matter what time of day it is. I wish more people would do what they love doing. Yeah. I think, I think, I think, so I, I think deeply about this. This is one of those deep thought topics I think a lot about. 
And I think the first part of it can be traced back to comfort. And I think involved with that is people inherently like comfort. They also like stability. And I think with that is there's a saying, I don't know who said it. Tim Ferriss says it a lot, but this idea that there are two great addictions in life, heroin and a monthly salary. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's true. It's like having constant income. You can quote unquote rely on to build that life, to buy things, to pay rent, to pay bills. Right. Versus if you're someone who is like me, who's like, some months I'll make a fuck ton of money. Some months I'll not make zero dollars, right? And But like because of that, I have to be kind of scrappy and I have to be willing to move things and make things work and also save a bit. So I have a, a slush fund, so to speak. And because that has kind of taught me that like, I'm not going to waste my time doing things I don't want to do because I can always find a project doing what I want to do, right? You never talked about this, right? Yeah, it's like you won't touch work it. anymore unless you are like, fuck yeah. Right, so the fuck yeah or no. Yeah, like right? I need to be super ready for it. For sure. My we, mind's yeah, there. We live the life of lions like artists do. It's like sometimes you're not ready for the work. Sometimes you want to go kill that gazebo. Sometimes you just want to slay in the grass and yawn and, you know, shit in the sun. But it also makes me the type of person who might always be late. For sure. Because the minute I'm the uh, I'm working on a project mm. and the ball starts rolling. It consumes you, right? It consumes yeah. me and I'm like, I need to get to a place where I can at least put it down and mm. pick it up later. Yeah. But not in the middle of the process. It needs to be somewhere towards the end of whatever I'm doing. Agreed. And I'm one who will literally put off important tasks for days until I can have a longer window of time to make sure I can get it done. Yeah. Sometimes. And also, I always regret doing that because I know if I just started, I would have gotten it done earlier. Even, for sure. But, I was, but, I was but it can happen to me yeah. even just from the fact that like, oh, wow, the light came out. It's very nice now. And I feel motivated again to get as, on my as, laptop. As why we or do something. Know, delayed this. By yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm not giving you shit. I just think no, no. But I mean, yeah. I, I gave you a, a slight heads up. You did. Because no, like, I, I knew it was going to happen. To be honest, I was sitting here answering emails, watching Parks and Rec. So like, <laughs> I, you weren't distracting me for anything. Like I, I view. So this is kind of like. The first two full days after crossing, I usually say more than like, usually about six or seven time zones, somewhere in that range, six to nine to 10 or more. Like the first two days are usually garbage time. Mm. Like I want to do very productive things. I try to get as much done, but I try to pick all tasks that are very short little things like, oh, I'll go book some more travel. I'll go pay some bills. I'll go like check in a bunch of things. I'll do my finances. The things that like not super flowy creative work because like, my head is still trying to get it's wrapped around like rhythm with sunlight. Mm. Right. And also like, as, as I told you, like I didn't sleep on the flight over here, which is a 10 hour flight with nine hours of time change. Right. So I landed here and I was exhausted. Right. But I had to, I, this is the dumbest thing I've done recently. And I promised myself I wouldn't do it, but I scheduled three hours straight of meetings an hour after landing in Copenhagen after a 13 hour travel day across nine. Times. Insane. And I, and I, I realized my mistake as soon as I landed, I was like, cause you know what? A month ago I was like, oh yeah, I'll be fine. Like I'll power. Like that's the most American thing ever. Yeah. It's toxic. Like I'll power through it. But fuck it. You know, like, and, and I did it and I was literally managed a 30 minute nap before the first meeting. And I woke up and I was like, I fucking hate this. And that was, that was the 1%. That was 1%. I was like, Rob, it ended up going well. But I also was just like, look in the future. Don't do that again. Yeah, don't do that again. Give yourself some time, some time to like, you know, get yourself back. Recovery time. Well, here's the thing I learned, right? If I hadn't taken those meetings and took a relaxing day as soon as I landed and then took the day after as a fully off day versus trying to do things, I wouldn't be where I am now, which is it took me two and a half days to do this versus less than a better day. Yeah. Also, maybe if you get too comfortable, you're not going to want to do anything. Like For sure. Yeah. For sure. So it, it, it's both things. So like I realized that if I had when I landed, given myself the space, stayed up to like 5 or 6 p.m. So at least adjust enough and then passed out 
woke up the next morning, would have had a full day yesterday and been able to do like a good half day of work. Instead, I didn't do that. I only managed to sleep six hours. And then I was like falling asleep when we were meeting yesterday. Yeah. I came back, I slept three more hours, which I felt great afterwards, had a couple more meetings. But then last night or this morning, I fell, I fell asleep at 4.48 in the morning. Wow. And then I woke up at 11.30 and I was like, cool, I've wasted a sunny morning in Copenhagen during the wintertime, which is tragic. Yeah, which is super sad because tragic. it doesn't happen that much. I, I was walking outside and I was like, fuck you. Bro. <laughs> and, and, and it's kind of sad because like I'm full of energy now. I'm still kind of tired, but like I hope tomorrow I finally reset this schedule, but I'm like almost leaving Copenhagen tomorrow. Yeah, just like that. So, so it's, it's all lessons. I think the biggest thing for me is I remember these things, but I need to get better about I'm always quick to forgive myself, mm. which is good. I think it's a good thing. So many people can beat themselves up, but I think sometimes I forget the mistakes I've made before and I've made this mistake a few times in the past year. And if I just been like, hey, I have a system. I'm someone that remembers everything, but sometimes you have that blind spot with yourself. Yeah. You're like, oh, I can have that two extra drinks and be fine. You're not fine. You feel like shit the next morning. And like it happens, it'll, it'll repeat yourself yeah, every but I, week. But I also think there's two different types of people. And I think when you mentioned the bit about somebody being the type who wants to have a job that they don't yeah. particularly love. I think there's the, the, the creative type and then there's the structure analytical type mm -hmm. and the structure analytical type is okay with taking the finance job or whatever that makes them, you know, they have to be super structured in where people like us are immense creatives who aren't always organized, who don't kind of plan out things a hundred percent, but kind of go based off feeling and whatnot. And the, and the problem is, is my background, we're, we're drinking, uh, uh, this local it's Danish wild air, just ugh, Danish wild ale with raspberries and vanilla beans. Mm. Um, it's Rubus of Rose Vanille. It's from a place called Bag Haven. I discovered it last time I was here and I put on my story a few times and I think you like respond to me like, Oh, I have to try this. Where do I get it? And I sent it to you. And, and when I was walking through the grocery store today, I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't know if Ruben's tried this yet. No, I haven't. And it's the, it's about the sweetest, sourest thing I've had in my life. Do you like it though? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it's, good. it's not what you expect. No, no, but it's like- the, It's not beer. It's not cider. It's something No, else. but it, it's the face that I make when I drink whiskey, mm. but it, it tastes actually really good. Yeah. So you don't like whiskey? No, I like whiskey. Mm. I love but it doesn't whiskey. Make you, but whiskey gives you that warm feeling? It, it does. This but, doesn't. But sometimes, exactly. But sometimes you drink certain whiskeys where it has that yeah. initial kind of punch For of, sure. of, of flavor and taste. For sure. And then it comes down slowly. This is what I want to drink with like a good cheese and some nice bread in the park in Copenhagen in the summer. Yeah. Like that's, that's this drink. It's a little, a little colder outside for this drink, but going back to what we were talking about in this like toxic drive and traits thing, I agree with you. I try to live a life of a, of a vast creative, but also like I run a company, right? I'm an engineer by trade. I'm a very analytical person, right? I love structure. I have a to-do list. I, I love having a schedule, but I also love that free form where I'm most like, I, I like the, so let me, let me kind of explain this out like this. I tried for years to schedule out every single minute of my day. I'd literally be like, this is the time I'm going to do this. It's time to do that. It would never work. And I was Sisyphusian in my insanity. What I mean by that is like Sisyphus was the guy who rolled the, the ball up the hill constantly and yeah. kept falling down. Right. And excuse me, insanity is the definition of the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Exactly. Right. And so what I was doing is I was literally like this color coordinated mess. I'll show you a screenshot later and I'll put it I'll, I'll put a screenshot below in, in, in the, in the show notes. Um, I realized that I was forcing myself into thinking that some things should be automatic. Some things should follow a routine, but maybe not a schedule, especially if you're creative in creative fields like you and I, sometimes you need time to flow. Sometimes a project might, you might think takes two hours, takes 12. 
Sometimes the thing that might take 20 takes two. Like it depends on how your brain's working and flowing. So what I decided to move to, which I've been highly successful on, is having a schedule of things that I want to make sure I do in the mornings and the evenings and the midday, right? They can happen in different orders. They can happen at different times. They're not reliant on the sun or someone else or showing up at an office. It's like, it's, it's initiated by me. So basically it can start when I wake up and, and ends before I go to bed. And I found that's very good at grounding myself, keep me to get mind. And secondarily is all used to do lists of things I want to make sure I have. Sometimes it's things I have to make sure I get done, which I annotate on my list. Sometimes I think are things that like, if I have time, or like, hey, do this because the post office closes then, or like the call center is least busy at this time, like little things like that. And so I stopped scheduling my time and my goal is to have as little things in my calendar as possible. Mm. The goal is to then have as organized as a do list as possible. And basically in my head every morning, I wake up the same way. I wake up and then immediately want to go for a walk. I don't care if it's snowing or if it's raining or it's frozen or it's hot as Hades outside. I like to go outside because it just that fresh air and that movement helps wake me up, right? And during that walk is when I open my phone. I try to open my phone as soon as I wake up, I try to like give it some time. I, the first thing I do is I look at my to-do list, right? I look at my, the things I think I have to do today. And then I also check my email to make sure nothing else crazy happened overnight and things like that. I try to check my email as often as possible. See who texted me. Cause usually I'm in a time zone where like I'm, I'm, I'm behind people or ahead of people, exactly. right? Um, and beyond that, I then say, okay, cool. I know what I have to do. I kind of have a loose schedule in my mind. These are things I want to do then there. I'll set a couple timers in my head or on my watch, like one for when I think I want to go work out, one for when I think I want to leave for my second walk, when I think when I think I want to start eating dinner. Like th- these are weird, but whenever the timer goes off, my head is going to be like, oh, that's what I want to do. I'm like the opposite. Yeah. Complete opposite. Yeah. I'm just like feeling-based calendar. Sure. I wake up and I'm like, okay, music on. I need to get the blood flowing. I need to get mm. some some feeling in my and and groove in my in my body in your step in my step pep in my step um you know take that shower and then from there i start looking at the phone but mm-hmm. i can i have been the type which is terrible to have you know who doesn't look at the calendar quick enough and i can be uh-huh. getting dressed and it's like the 15 minute notification the, and you're like and oh, you're like shit. shit i have a meeting in 15 minutes and that's a 30 minute physical Uber. yeah so i am the type of person who tends to you know mm-hmm. If I need to leave at nine o'clock in my, my apartment, I'll never do it. Okay. It needs to be 901, 858, mm. 854, 905. But it's that extra minutes that I need that will actually make a difference to me. Yeah, I understand that. And and the things that really the one thing that really solved that for me is is I'm a serially on time person. Like I think it's my father. He like socialized me as a kid, my sister too. If you're not a couple minutes early, you're absolutely late. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's just how, how I grew up. And it's like, it's kept me. And so like, I have a very strong world meeting, especially work meetings, especially people that I, that work for me or work with me. Like if someone's late, I give them a couple minutes and I just, I just leave the zoom or walk away. Oh, for sure. Well, if it's zoom, I'm definitely leaving the zoom. No, for sure. Late. But like I, I, a couple times with, with people like old bosses have made points where they're like, Oh, I'll be 15 minutes late. It's like, cool. Let's reschedule. They're like, Oh no, I still want to meet this time. Like, cool. I'm not waiting for you. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't care if you're in a place of power. Like I, this is me saying that my time is valuable. And the yeah. thing is, is that, they're going to hate you. They're going to curse you out, but they'll never do to you again. Yeah, Especially if they want to meet with you. What I hate is when people send me uh, 15 minutes late in subject lines and nothing else. And it's also the time they're supposed to be there. Like it's not 15 minutes ago. You're telling me that yeah. you're telling me that at the mm-hmm. time we're supposed to actually meet. Yeah. If, and if that's what I'm sitting there. Like, time, yeah. I'm like, cool. We can reschedule our meeting 15 minutes later. But now I know in my head, like 
that's 15 more minutes I could be doing showering something. or sleeping or working out or doing stuff. Because the worst thing about it is like if you show up somewhere expecting to see someone and they're not there, you're like, this is time I could have done been doing something. Else. Yeah. And also your mind is like it's important mentally for you to know that, OK, this is Get I have ready. this time. I can go. I can use it for whatever. When someone actually mm-hmm. shows up, yeah. you know, 15 minutes late, you're just sitting there waiting. Yeah. You're like a hostage to them. For sure. So there, there have been three rules that I've implemented that have really helped fix not only the addiction to my phone, but also my, my issues with time. And my issues with time is like, I'm obsessive with it, mm-hmm. right? Um, the first one is no phones in bed. So like, I won't even sleep with my phone next to the bed. Like if I, if I want to look at my phone, like here's the worst thing. If like I'm in the middle of the night and I can't sleep and I want to like doom scroll Instagram or like text a friend or call someone, I make myself leave bed. Like, Wait, I, so you put it in another room. I put it on like a bedside table. Oh, okay. I put it on my desk, which is like probably 15 linear feet from where I sleep. Sure, sure. So like it's enough where if someone called me and it's important, then I can get up and still answer it in time and not mm. have to like run across. I want to be able to, I want to hear that. And that's, that comes to the second part. The second part is I use something called downtime. Have you ever, ever played with downtime no. on your iPhone? It's a hidden feature inside the screen time apparatus. And basically it shuts off everything on your phone except for what you tell it not to. Okay. So, so I basically only allow productivity apps like my, excuse me, calendar to do list. And then phone calls from like my, my like family and people that matter to me. So like some of my best friends, a couple of my other friends, my mom, my sister, my grandma, my dad, like, so basically it's like this, anyone could call you if they're not on that list of contacts, they are never getting through to your phone. Right. And, and their phone will just catalog them. And the second you have downtime, we'll just show you everything you missed. So mm-hmm. like when I'm in downtime, I can stare at my phone and I'll basically get like the calendar stuff the important stuff, but I won't get any emails. I won't get any texts from anyone that's not in that group of people. It basically just like, it's a filter for the rest of the world. So I just want to like live in peace for a day and only see the important things that matter to me. You can also open up individual apps and unlock them for the day. But at, at rest, it's like, no, we're not showing you anything. And Are so, you paying for this? No, it's free. Okay. It's free. It's like, <laughs> it this, sounds this, pretty cool. This is built into iOS, Okay. which is, which is even better. Like, and so what I do is I always turn it on manually before I go to bed mm. because I usually don't wake up with an alarm. And basically stops anything from coming through and also stops you from the middle of the night being like, I'm just gonna open my phone and look at things. Cause I, if I do that, like subconsciously, I'm like, Oh, it's, it's a basically a, a fancy brick with my, that my dad can call. Yeah, exactly. That's all it is. That's all I want it to be. And third, I don't turn on any notifications on my phone except for two apps, the phone, which is also FaceTime and calendar. So my phone will never light up or buzz unless it's a phone or a calendar event. I think that's pretty much true to me as well. Yeah. I, I don't have anything otherwise than yeah. that. A lot of people do though. Like I have a friend who on his phone, I won't tell, I won't tell everyone who it is, but like he'll have it on the kitchen counter. And like every two things would let up. It was like email, Instagram notification, text message. And I'm I, like, I, I, I got rid of that a long time ago. Good. But you, LinkedIn, I did have, but that was a nightmare. Cause I thought it was like money coming to my door every sure, single time. Sure. <laughs> so I had to actually take it off. Cause it'd be like, Oh, uh, someone's birthday today or yeah. somebody just reshared a post and I'm like, Oh, stop. Yeah. I like, I like looking at my phone first thing in the morning so I can see if I have any important messages, from people that I care about, right? mm. there's any people that messages that come through and any kind of fires. Right. Mm, and, sure. and those fires look all kind of people I care about. Like I'm not gonna look at my email. I can do stuff like that. But then when I'm out the door on the walk, I then open the floodgates when I'm sure. outside and I'm already like feeling free. And I try to do a little bit of daily gratitude. Like, uh, you know, like there's this app called five, five minute journal. Mm. And it started out as a, started as like a physical book and it turned into an app. And essentially the idea is like you first saying like, what do you want to achieve today? Right. Which is helpful. I look at after I've kind of looked through my like to do list, so to speak. And also like 
daily manifestations, which I'm big in. Like, if you believe you can do it, you can fucking do it, right? Sometimes it's just like, what are your affirmations for the day? Sometimes symbols me being like, you got this to being like, like get out of your own fucking head. You know, like so, so I, th I think, you know, self-talk's important. Yeah, sure. some, some people shoot it down, but I, I live in self-talk. I self-talk in my, in my notes section of yeah. my phone a lot. Yeah. So it's for like, sure. Ruben, you piece of shit. Yeah, no, like, <laughs> uh, or like when you're stressed, like what's making you stressed? This, 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 this. For sure. And also, after it's over, after it's over, you look at it back like that made me stress. Like, yeah. Well, also, I think once you fear and stress are very similar, once you put your finger on it, once you highlight it, once you underline it, you realize that's not really something I should be afraid of. No. And also, there's a solution to it. There's usually almost a solution to it. It could be painful, it could be difficult, it could be sure. time consuming. But also, the best part is when you've gone through it, you've managed that situation, mm -hmm. you come back to it later on, and like, Wow, I was really pissed and stressed about that, and here I'm over that. Yeah. I'm over that hurdle now. You're rebuilding mental pathways now to deal with it. Anxiety exactly. works the same way, right? Mm. If you stop anxiety in its tracks and say, "Okay, I'm going to deal with this and solve the problem," the next time the exact same anxiety come up, which it will, you're like, "Oh, I got this." Yeah, like I've, I've done. Or I've been here before. I've yeah. been here before. Yeah. I've walked down this road exactly. before. I'm not get falling in this trap <laughs> again, right? Um. So off of that, do you have any other like daily routines or habits that you that you really adhere to? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm 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 a very simple person, I must say. Like, uh, it depends on what I'm trying to get out of the day. Uh, I do do walks as well, uh, but I'm also the type of person who's really into music. So, like, if I'm needing to be someone who's like writing something new or someone who's thinking about um, a new concept, or if I'm just trying to have some time to myself, I have a playlist for all of it. Yeah. Um, so I'm constantly like immersed in the music. Like even my two minute walk to you from my apartment, mm -hmm. I still had to play like one or two songs. Oh, I'm the same way. Yeah. Throw, throw in AirPods, pull them out, put exactly. them in, throw them out. That's why, I mean, I'm always carrying around, like I love big studio headphones. Mm. I love the AirPod Maxes. Um, and I, I just love being immersed in sound and also canceling out the entire world. There's something beautiful about walking through a city only hearing music and silence and you just said like oh man i used to do that a lot when i was in high school i would yeah. walk uh especially around like canal street mm -hmm. and see everyone who's like rolex fendi gucci yeah. and trying to sell you something fake yeah. i love walked out walking through there with some music on some earth wind and fire yeah and just like watching people sell stuff and watching mm -hmm. people like in chinatown and like that whole just like immersiveness of life um so for me it's like it's always nice to have music on even to this day to be able to just like vibe in my own world, but also to like see how that like matches up with everything else that's going on around me. Yeah. I love, I'm the exact same way. And I think that those evening, I, I always try to walk in the morning, preferably around like in, when it's still like daybreak. Right. I love, like I'd hate waking up that early usually, but mm. when I do, I never regret, I never, I never regret it. Right? I used to tell myself like, I used to love, I would say I, I love New York before 8 a.m. Mm. And I mean, that was uh, terrible because I hated waking up. But when the times that I did wake up oh, yeah. and get out before eight, it was lovely because it was yeah. this, like crisp in the air. That's For like, sure. It was a little bit slower than usual. And you just felt something yeah. about it. That's the drug of New York, which I miss in the summer is I would wake up at 430 or five. I'd go walk outside and start working out. And it'd be like as the sun's coming up and like those. 5 30 a.m mornings in soho are special i'm like july yeah. it's it's like still cool outside it's still not fucking humid as shit sometimes sometimes it is 
And then you have a full day of like work and meetings and event. Never you go to dinner with drinks, the friends or others on Monday or a Wednesday or th- it's New York. You go out every night. Of course. And then you're out at sunset cause it's late and you're walking and you're just done. You can go home. You can get into bed right after that's done at like eight or not like nine 30. You're just ready to pass out and you wake up the next morning and you start again. Like, and that's something, there's something beautiful about that, that I miss that you can only really do in New York. Yeah. And I think that's that's the drug of New York I miss. Yeah, but I I, I, w- I wish that it was always the type of person who woke up and was ready to do stuff. But I'm also the type who can also wake up and have a very slow day. Mm. And I think that's a, the the symptom of Scandinavia as well. Sure, these slow mornings. Sometimes you, but I think this is where you and I being malleable and artistic. I hate keep, hate keep calling it artistic, but like sometimes I'll wake up and I'll be like, today I can't do what I thought I was going to do today. Today, yeah. I'm going to listen to my body. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to take it slow. But sometimes I'm like, no, Rob, you're being a little bitch. Go and fucking work out. And I always feel better. Right. So like some, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Like boarding that line between like, are you being lazy or are you trying to listen to yourself? But also I, I think that too, but I also feel like I have like a capacity of energy mm. that I can give off. And once I've like depleted that energy, I mm-hmm. need to kind of like recover and like reload and refuel myself before I can also give to whatever that is, that project or person, Totally, whatever it is. Yeah. And I, th- I think there's difference. So one thing is I used to completely build a linear path between mental output and physical output, right? Sometimes we're like, sometimes I can have a day where I work out, I go on my walks, but like I am, I mentally, I let my brain go where it wants to go. And sometimes on days we're like, mentally I'm on the right path for work, but physically I'm just like, my body is a break. So sometimes I'm like, I, I used to be like, no, if I'm on mentally, I'm on physically, but I, I, I've decoupled those, which I think has helped. Um, but usually I, I think I've found same thing with like, not routine, but system, building a system. Mm. When I'm consistent with working out, that's usually the biggest grounding thing for everything else. Like just because I love the sweat, I love the feeling of for sure fitness, right? Um, okay. So is there something you believe that most don't mm. i i am uh i don't know I, I i go back to this phrase that my dad used to say all the time which i think i told you the other day is that like all all that people can say is no like yes. and for me like i'm a, a very believer that anything is possible and of course that comes a little bit from the american mentality mm-hmm. but in a different way i feel like yeah yeah of course right <laughs> but i think for me especially living in copenhagen um, I am the type of person who just like likes to figure a way to get out, get around. No. Mm. And, um, in my career for sure. But I'm the type that's like, you know, you tell me, no, I'm like, there's someone else who's going to tell me yes. For sure. And, and I think living in Copenhagen, you, mm. you don't see that a lot. You, you see people who yeah. are very much scared of no. Totally. So they'll never even yeah. get to getting to like what they're trying to do. Uh, yeah. And to me, it's like, I, I like the, the excitement. Mm-hmm. Of knowing that right now it's a no, yeah. or knowing that like okay, this is like an unbelievable situation. Let's find a way to make it believable. Uh, yeah, and that's something that I stand by a lot in everything that I and do. I, and I love that, and I, I find it very relevant with entrepreneurship and startups, which is the world I live in, right? And and actually, so I was watching highlights because I was I was actually awake when it started, but I didn't want to stay up and watch it. But uh, Tesla opened their uh, Texas Gigafactory, mm. and Elon Musk gave a big talk about the direction of Tesla. But it's like the world's most automated factory and it's incredibly technologically advanced. It allows them to make these incredibly advanced cars incredibly quickly and incredibly safely. Right. And he was so, so long story short, they use these massive 
molding machines, which allow them to mold these massive cast aluminum. I think some of them are still, I think mostly aluminum parts. And these three new moldings make up most of the entire body and framework of the car. What used to be the equivalent of like 700 parts is now three. Insane. So so think about the amount of time and money and, and raw resources they're saving. And he said that they contacted the six companies on the planet that could make a machine like this. Five said no, and one said maybe. And he's like, so you're saying yes. He's like, that sounds to me like a yes, just veiled as like a, you giving yourself some li- unliability, right? And I think, I think that's true. But also one thing I've learned about, you know, when I hear no, I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask again uh, in the future. Like, oh, it's the no right now, right? Um, especially in work stuff. Because there are many, many opportunities I'm sure you had in life. There are many places I worked at. Like when I went to Collins, for example, where I was like, I want to go work at Collins. People are like, that's crazy. And then I went and managed to get a meeting with Brian Collins. And at first he was like, no. And I was like, okay, well, what if we did this? And he's like, mm, no. But also like, and, maybe like unpack it. Like what sure. is the no? What is the no? Because the no for me, it's like, okay, yeah. if I need to find out what the no is, mm-hmm. so then I can work on yeah. those things to make it a yes. And then the Collins case, it was the no was, I didn't have any design experience. I hadn't gone to design school. And I was like, cool, then I won't do design work for you. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, there's other things that are yeah, creative at this company that don't involve design and it's like it's a good point and i was like yeah okay great so can i do that and he's like mm, let me think about it and that to me that let me think about it is like ooh, i opened the door yeah because he's you picked the interest i picked, picked the interest right and eventually three months later i got hired right and like that that built the rest of the basis of my being in my career but sometimes like it's not also it's not just you but maybe yeah. it's the person it's you're them. speaking to mm. maybe that person leaves and then a new person comes and then yeah. you're still in that conversation or you're your file is still sitting on that desk mm-hmm. and then they pick it up and still they're like, Oh, free in your head. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then it becomes a, a interest. I see that all the time in, in projects that I do or people that I meet where I pitched a project to a, a brand or a company. And that person at the time told me no. And then the new person who came in two years later comes and sees that DM or that email and says, Oh, like I've heard of him. I know him. Let's, let's, do, let's, let's, let's do it. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean like, the no is not when you know that it no means it's just a it's just a word like you can yeah. work around it for sure from a you know like a uh a company like mm-hmm. a you know career standpoint if a female tells you no then it's yeah not. i was literally about to say, <laughs> I was gonna in, say in, my, in my head i was like yeah it's like so yeah, for yeah, anyone yeah. out there that's, a, that's, that's, <laughs> that may be confused yeah uh, no means no when it comes to human relations uh, yeah, but yeah almost every other thing no is a is a is a it's trans, a negotiable situation it's a negotiable situation yeah so anything else the is just creepy so please don't. exactly yeah. so i definitely leave people alone when they tell yeah. me no from sure. a, from a, just a social setting. or i want people to leave me alone when i tell them exactly them, right which is something where i think a lot of men unfortunately have an experience but you know I, I, unfortunately i had a good talk with a friend about this recently the men who are least creepy and the ones that are least likely to do something weird or push the boundaries are the ones who have had to reject someone before where they understand what it's like to be there mm. and also i think there's a strong ego attached with the guys who freak out when a girl says no. They're like, oh, how could a girl say no to me? Yeah. You know, it's like. Because they've gotten their way their whole life. Yeah, ex- exactly. And like some people are like that. Like I, I've, I'm sure you've been in a New York club or a bar or a restaurant where some dude who's hot is, who, who like thinks he's hot, who has daddy's money, goes up to a girl and asks her out. And she's like, please leave me alone. They freak the fuck out. For I've, sure. I've seen it every weekend. Yeah. It's just sad. Because they're like, how dare you say no to me? It's like, bro, relax. Yeah, And I mean, that no also happens like just getting into the club or For like. For sure. Any other situation, or even or, a bar, or a restaurant, like, the like they yeah. like, didn't get in the restaurant because sure. they didn't have a reservation, and they're like, "What the hell?" Blah blah. So I mean, yeah, yeah you see it 
all the time. Humility, humility also is really important. I think you and I are both people that we, I, I don't, I used to want a really big footprint. Now I want to like, I'd, I'd rather be rich and anonymous than poor and famous. No, for sure. Right. And, yeah. And I love that quality. But I think it's a quality even for me that I'm, I'm constantly uh, reviewing mm-hmm. because even in the past you couple You have a years, lot of followers on Instagram, so. Yeah, but I mean, it, 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 it sounds funny to say this yeah. to any people. It's been a while. Sure. So you don't see it the same way as oh, like for sure. a, a and fresh Instagram's new a different, batch of followers. a different battlefield. Yeah. And I mean, to me, like they're all robots. <laughs> Funny enough. I don't sure. see, I mean, like I don't know the these human. people. I don't yeah. walk outside and like Because when 50, you were at Squarespace 60, in New York, you probably got a dozen plus DMs a day from people that wanted to connect with you at least, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because people are like, oh, like, you know, either, you know, because. They want they, something from you. They want something from you. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, like I said, I don't walk outside and see 60,000 people staring at me saying, uh, can we all come to your coffee with you? Like, yeah, it's not Verizon yeah. commercial, you know? No. So I don't, I don't and see. And you're not it. being paid like it's a Verizon commercial. No, either. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if you get 10, 12 DMs, it's not all within one minute of the day. So no. you don't feel the frequency of people. So but sometimes it's weird when you look at your um, stories and you see, like, thousands of people have watched it yeah. or watched it. And you're like, yeah. dude, like, I just, like, some people know where i'm at like they know that i'm in this location and i just posted it and thousands of people have just seen it like sometimes to me you know that takes a bit takes you a bit back it does and i mean i'm like i have 600 followers i think i have i have one hundredth of of the followers you but i'll tell you though the reason why i'm a little bit more comfortable about it is that when i worked at gap i was managing instagram account with a million followers followers, yeah and that actually and then you get a lot of spam on there that was right before i got a lot of followers on my own account yeah and that was pretty nerve-wracking in the beginning Mm -hmm. because you felt like okay if i post something yeah I can get a bad response from it. For sure. At least out of a million, yeah. one person can ruin my day. I started following you at 27,000. Yeah, okay. So that was yeah. definitely... Uh, Squarespace. Yeah, and I definitely yeah. feel like during that time period, you know, I've been able to you're come growing. in my own, yeah. you know? And also after a while, like when you've been doing it and you're doing, living life, doing life, yeah. and, you know, no one's being like, you suck at doing life, yeah. or people coming at you and being like, you're a terrible person, mm-hmm. then you realize, okay, like I could be me. Like people yeah. aren't coming at me every five minutes of the day. So sure. So the weirdest thing about what I was going to say is like, I have a hundredth of the followers you have, but I look, I post a story, I'll get like 200 views. And I'll, I'll sometimes I'll look through that viewing list. And it's weird because I will usually know or have had conversations with or dated or Most of they're them. my family, almost all of them. And that's always crazy because you forget how many people it is, right? So this is this is always, I ask this the wedding question, yeah. right? People, I, I'm like, I live, I have a pretty small circle. I do. I have a lot of very close friends, right? And and I don't have a massive, massive, I know a lot of people, but I don't open up to them, right? So this is the wedding question, right? So my friend and I were talking the other day, uh, one of my best friends, Zach, and I asked him, we were talking, I was like, yeah, if you got married tomorrow, like who'd, you, who'd be your best man? He's like, probably you, because he said, he said you, as in me, because uh, I'd throw the best bachelor party. But also like him and I live together, we've been best friends for years, like we're very close. But I was talking about how I want a smaller wedding. And I was like, yeah, smaller, probably like 50 person per, excuse me, per like bridegroom, and, and at least in my case, um, being a heterosexual male. Um, and he's like, that's a lot of people. And I was like, bear with me for a second though, right? It's like, I'll have five of my closest friends be my, be my groomsmen, best mans. They're plus one. That's 10 people right there, right? I have a very small family. There's like nine total cousins across both families, which for some families, like that's that's tiny. Some families have like sure. 30 or 40, right? So nine of them, plus they each get a plus one, that's 18. So you're 28 people already, right? Then you have 
my parents and my parents are divorced. So there's now four people in there. So you have 32 plus my aunts and uncles, people I never mentioned before. There's another 12 people. <laughs> so you're at 50 right there. And I have only invited my family members. I all know very well, my parents and my five closest friends to me in the world, plus their plus ones. So if I want to invite any other friends, you're already breaking 50. Yeah, and it's pretty, amazing because like, I don't think about my friend circle like that. I think about like, oh, it's like, just a small knit group, but it's still... There's a lot of people. 100 people. And it shows the same for you if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, for me as well, I would be, I would want something intimate though. Of for course, sure. Because, you know, when you're pouring your heart out to the woman mm -hmm. you love yeah. and doing vows, like, I don't want it to be like my coworker yeah. staring at me, even like, Ruben, I just met him like two months ago. <laughs> like, no. So I definitely. Ooh, would, I didn't know Ruben. Yeah, was I didn't, like I didn't know he, he loved his girlfriend that much. Yeah. Uh, but Good yeah, for him, though. Exactly. But I think in data society, there's mm. tons of family as well. So yeah, huge, I, I think huge. my girlfriend's side would fill up enough. Yeah. Uh, but from my side, for sure, I would bring the people that you, you, you want. And, you know, yeah. when you get to 50, yeah, it's going up to at least 100. So I loved this idea of um, one of my good friends, Heath Goldman, who's been on this podcast. She's a network a recipe developer for the Food Network, lives mm. in New York. Um, I'll make sure you two meet when we're all there in August. We'll do, yeah, we'll do sure. dinner. Um, she's getting married in, 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 in May. I'm actually flying back from Europe to go to her wedding. Mm. Um, and amazingly, uh, she is having, she grew up in Greenwich, like the countryside of Greenwich. Mm. And so they're having a very small ceremony with just, just their immediate families. So it's like her, her two sisters, her parents, her grandparents. Right. Uh, and I think her best friend who's her, who's her maid of honor. And then for Isaiah, who's the, who's the, the groom, it's him, his best friend, his brother, his parents and their grandparents. Like hyper small ceremony and obviously mm. the the person officiating the ceremony sure um and i think because they're both jewish so i think uh he's gonna be a rabbi yeah and then they are all taking a big bus down to this massive party they've had planned as like the wedding party out dinner party afterwards which will have all their friends and their friends friends and i've seen that yeah i've seen i that. like that i've seen that my cousin actually did that uh in la mm -hmm. when i went back to her wedding and she did that as well where yeah. she had like not a lot of people, like 10 yeah. people at the church. And then it was a big reception. Massive um, party. Also in Denmark, I just, I went, this is like around like, I wouldn't say COVID, but yeah. it was, it wasn't hot COVID, but it was take a break hey, COVID. COVID doesn't exist in Denmark. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did go to a wedding where we all went to the wedding. Everyone went to the wedding, but then only some people went to the reception, which I thought was super weird yeah that's weird so then people literally had to like the most intimate part out of out the of, wedding yeah because to me it's like if you're so so there's two ways to view weddings right here's an intimate beautiful thing of someone i hopefully care about and it's gonna be a it's gonna be an amazing experience the entire time from like the food and the drink to like the intimate parts right or it's like i'm going to like i'm going with this girl i met on tinder because she needs a plus one, I'm going to like suck my way through the, uh, the ceremony, hopefully pregame it, and then just get ready for the fucking free food and drink. Right. There's two, two views. Of, and that's one definitely. of the two, right. But I've done I, both. <laughs> no, I, I definitely get that. But I think from the, the, the uh, person who's getting married side of it, the groom side of it, I definitely won't only want to have the people I really truly know and love at the wedding. And then the reception, mm -hmm. it would need to be all the friends because that's the party, right? Yeah. But like, and that's when like grandma and everyone else goes home, or they're like in the corner, like half sleep, right? Yeah. So like, that's where I think that. Makes so his grandma in the corner half asleep. Exactly. Yeah. But also like weddings are crazy expensive and like, crazy expensive. I'm paying for your Tinder date to have food at this wedding. I'm like, damn. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's my thing is like I I it's it's so just a, a casualty of circumstances, right? My friend Heath is getting married on the 21st of May, the Saturday, right? I fly back on the 19th. And then the day later, one of my best friends from college, Sean, is getting married in Vegas. The day after that wedding. 
So literally, I have I'm gonna be out all night on this flight because it's a New York flight. Wasted and straight to Vegas. Yeah. So I'm basically have to take an I think it's an 8 a.m. flight from JFK to get to Vegas on time. Are they doing like the Are they doing like the um, the you know get hitched in Vegas kind of theme with Elvis? No, they're 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 from both from Vegas. Okay, because I've never seen anyone get married in Vegas and not do the strip move. No, for sure it's not. It's actually at some really like bougie country club like 30 minutes south of the strip. Um, which I'm like, I don't want to be on the strip anyways. I'm staying on the strip because that's where you stay. Yeah, of like, course. I'm not, you know, you know exactly yeah, what I'm saying. Exactly. Right. So, but here's, here's my whole thing with this. It's just like, I'm happy to do that because I care about all these people immensely, right? It's going to be one hell of a weekend and I'm going to have to have a shut off switch at the first one because I know I'm not getting on that plane still drunk because no. I know I'll hate my life, <laughs> hate my life. And yeah. even worse, if you want me to get into like travel nerd nerdiness for a second. So on Delta, there are a couple direct flights from JFK to Las Vegas. One at 8 a.m., one at 11 a.m. I think maybe it was 8.30. Um, they are usually operated on like their Eurojet, same one they'd fly between JFK and Copenhagen. So they'd lie flat bed. So I was like, cool, I'm just going to buy the first class ticket so I can pass out. So like, even if I showed up to the plane like with only two hours of sleep, still kind of drunk, I could still sleep like four hours in the plane, right? Mm, good for you, man. But, but they switched the plane type. Like a few weeks ago, and I but, but they also switched the plane type just because. Just because in, engines not working. No, no, because uh, because they, they want to move those planes to the Europe routes, so they put a plane with no beds. And I was yeah. like, well, I I don't like that because no. I can't sleep, and I'm particular as I'm sure you've yeah, everyone's learned by now. So what I'm doing is I'm taking the LA flight, which I know will have beds, and, and then, then I'm just switching over, and then I'm switching over and I've flying done that backwards too as to well. Vegas. I've done that too because here's the thing: I'm like, it leaves an hour earlier, so I lose an hour of sleep, but it's also it's just thirty minutes longer. So like, I'm gonna get there around the same time as I would the original flight. I'll have to stop and go. Like, I'm literally I'm going past my destination, then going backwards, which always sucks. Yeah, but, like, but Vegas and LA is really close. So it is really close. Part one, but also like to get that extra time, to be able to sleep, to be able to to just relax and take that time. That's all I care about. Yeah. Right. Comfort, especially when you're hungover. Comfort when hungover. I, I've done a a really cheap Ryanair flight from oh boy Prague back to Copenhagen, and if anyone's been to Prague, that's where everyone goes to get drunk. Shit, because there's tons of beer, and uh, yeah, taking a, a forty even forty five minutes or an hour flight being super hungover is nasty that's nasty yeah it's i've nasty. never i've never puked on a plane and i really hope i never do yeah. but um all i can remember from that flight was telling myself you better not puke yeah yeah it's like if you had some turbulence like oh fuck all of it sitting there just like yeah. praying that i won't puke yeah because that's embarrassing it is embarrassing and i just also I, I hate feeling terrible i think that's the one thing is i love drinking with my friends but i also hate feeling terrible but i i think also being older now being at 32 yeah i don't like so really old bad. so 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 terrible. so old for uh, so old for someone doing what i'm doing but i feel like Fair. i've just i've gotten to the point that like when i feel hungover mm -hmm. it's like death awaits so so i think to me this is a pivotal year i turned 28 at the end of may right it's gonna change no i know it's, it happened it's, to it's, me it's already, at it's already, 27 it's already so the past six months i've felt a change yeah but the big thing for me is like uh, this june will be the 10 year anniversary of me graduating high school mm. so i'm like i'm already at my 10 year high school like like reunion which blows my mind honestly yeah. like it, it's time it's flies fucking weird yeah. right it's just weird like i know the way to say it but going off that i kind of thought i was like maybe it's time to start abandoning some of the habits of my younger college but years. is it is like a 27 28 is a life-changing period where you do start to shift yourself from like being young and wild to being more responsible especially for men 
Yeah, especially for women, it happens a few years earlier. Mine, one hundred percent, was twenty-seven. I remember like yesterday, and I also think your body does change. I remember being able to get so drunk that I'd wake up the next day and be like, "I'm surprised I'm alive." And yeah. I don't feel anything. Mm-hmm. I'm not hungover. I nothing. still have most of that, but yeah. I know I'm going to lose the next year. Right. So. Now it's like when I'm hungover, I wake up and I'm like, if I could go to the hospital, I would. But they would look at me like you're nuts. Well, that's that's why you have the IV nurses. They come yeah. with the IV. and they, they, You ever done a banana bag before? No, but I think I would like a home version of that. For sure. That I could do for myself. The problem is, is like until someone figures out a legal way to like IV yourself, yeah. it's, it's still going to be a nurse, right? Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a I dated, I dated a nurse who always wanted to try IVing me for fun. And I was just like, yeah, nah, nah, I'm yeah, good. Nah, I don't, I don't mind needles. I have no, no, nothing wrong with needles, but they have to have a purpose. Like don't, exactly. don't stick No, I don't no mind reason. it, but it definitely needs a purpose. For sure. Yeah. I'm just going to stab me. Oh, can I practice pulling yeah. blood from you? When I was a kid no. donating blood in high school, like I was definitely the type to be like, okay, do, do they really need this one? Is my blood type like popular? Like well they they end up not using a lot of blood i learned that recently really yeah because that's it has to be certain standards and some some days like blood just doesn't does it expire too you think it does okay. well i don't i know blood naturally expires when knocked with the right conditions yeah but, but i'm, I'm sure, sure in a refrigerator i'm sure the usda put some kind of label like they do for yogurt and for everything yeah, 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 yeah for sure well because and rice that exists forever yes yes right uncle ben's yeah uncle ben's that's that's something right it's like i look at I understand it's like an Oreo it could go stale. Like, sure, right? Yeah. But when I look at something like it, I, I love this. The Uncle Ben's like minute rice. For anyone who doesn't know what that is, I'll ex- we'll explain it quickly. Basically, you put this packet of rice in the microwave with a little bit of water, right? And it, you get steamed rice in a minute. Exactly. Right? There are so many chemicals in this rice it, to it, allow this it, to happen. It must, it must take off like two days of your life. It probably could take two days of your life. But beyond that, they have expiration dates like a year in the future. Yeah. Which I know this thing could survive a nuclear holocaust. Like, <laughs> like this, this shit's in fucking like bunkers from the '80s, like Soviet war era shit, where they're like, "Oh, the military oh, but, thing." But, is but like peanut butter is the same way as well, for sure. Like this, <laughs> this could survive literally the nuclear. Yeah, holocaust. or like if you ever want to bake a cake, yeah. <laughs> those like little powder boxes. Oh, the, the Betty Crocker with the yeah, oil exactly. inside of them. Oh, that yeah. stuff is like a two-year deep opportunity for you. It's, it's, Have uh, you ever made Jello in the yeah. U.S. as well? Yeah, it'll course. say like this lasts for three years. Like, like no, it doesn't. This lasts for three hundred years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so weird. Um, okay. So this has been a wide ranging conversation. I'm gonna try to start bringing it in a little bit uh, with some outro questions because I think you and I are both gonna need to get on with our evening. It is. It is eight o'clock yeah a friday which means that alcohol is in our near future exactly um and food and food i think we're meeting up with your girlfriend as well yeah yeah. okay so uh these are all rapid fire questions uh you can answer them in as few or many words as you please okay you're allowed to pass them if you like right um this question is so cliche and was like my opening dating app question when I was still in college because I thought it was like cool, but nowadays I would never ask it. But I think for you, it's actually imperative, which is uh, if you could travel anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? Well, I'm going to Athens on Tuesday, so I would say Athens for sure. Would you, if, if I if I've pulled that off the board for you, what would you have to say? South Korea, you easily. You keep mentioning this. You, you South go to Korea. Seoul. Seoul's amazing, Seoul. man. Yeah, 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 I mean, I just want to be in a in a a place that's like tech heavy driven mm. and wild and oh, different it's, it's and just amazing. out of translation. It's amazing. That's one thing is so when I, I spent, I spent a week in Japan and all right. And like, uh, I was in Sapporo, um, um, uh, Tokyo, um, uh, what's the other one called? Uh, Osaka, uh, Nara and Kyoto. Mm. Right. Amazing, amazing place. Like incredible food, really cool, weird culture, but really cool. Yeah. Um, 
Like you and I are both tall for Americans. We're very short for Denmark. Exactly. Um, but in Asia, we're giants, mm. right? Um, which is fun trying to fit places. But like Korea as well, it's just like the more high-tech version of Japan. It's wildly high-tech. Like even the subways are just in, yeah. in, insane. Like they, they tell you like the next subway is 12 seconds away and we'll leave in 39 seconds. You're like, mm. oh, okay, great. Um, this is awesome. But um, yeah, you should get there. Uh, Air France flies through Paris and that's probably the most enjoyable flight. Yeah. yeah to, we got to get you on a La Premiere. I do too. So I, I actually booked a flight. So um, obviously uh, May and June going to Europe is like the most expensive time of year to go from America because everyone's done with school and they're on vacation mm-hmm. or like people are going abroad and things like that. And also there's so many leftover points and awards from COVID that no one used. And also May everyone's like, oh, it's summer COVID will be gone in the United States, even though it already is worldwide, yeah. just America's stuck. Um, so it's nearly it was nearly impossible to find any decent flights for under a ridiculous amount of money back. So I decided, I was like, I'm going to use points this time. And I couldn't get back to the States in June, the end of June, um, for less than like 400,000 points, which to anyone like who doesn't know credit card points is like way too many for a flight like that. Like that's a, that's a flight that's like business class family of four from New York to Paris on a cheap day, right? And so what I realized is I could fly for 65, 40, actually it was 48,800 points from Paris to Mexico City, direct in business class, like life flat, 12 hours on Air France. So I'll just like get all the food, stuff like that. And I'll, then I'll spend a couple of days in Mexico City because I've never been, heard it's great. Yeah, then it's a, ch- a little cheap flight over. A little flight to San Diego or, my, or, my, or, or to LA wherever, or, or wherever, right? Yeah. Just to grab more stuff. But I realized that this flight, because Mexico City, there isn't a lot of people buying business class. I don't know if it's just like probably a lower socioeconomic ability to afford a sure. $5,000 one. It's like, that's a $5,000 ticket I got for 50,000 yeah. miles, right? Which is a pretty good deal. But you can upgrade yourself to La Premier at check-in if it's available. And the Charles de Gaulle to Mexico City routing is the cheapest of all of them. The most expensive is LA to Paris, as you can probably guess. Yeah, of course. It's like $2,800 from business classes and single cost upgrade to go from business class to La Premier. Wow. And La Premier, if people don't know, is like, the nicest first class product. Like it's not Emirates, doesn't have a shower in the plane, but you have no. three Michelin star French tasting menu, Givenchy pajamas. And it's only four seats. There's only four seats. Yeah. It's, you're, you're, you have two flight attendants, two per, per two, sorry, two per two people, two per four people. So it's one flight attendant for two people, Yeah, which is insane. And it's worth every minute and you can order as much or little food as you want and they serve it to you when you want it. Yeah, like it's, it's a la carte it's, and you, a, can, la carte. you can order anytime you want. I want to try it. And I heard that the upgrade price is around a grand for that 12 hour flight, which I'll try once because I know drinking two bottles of the Viflico Grand Damo 4 on that flight is right. more than $1,000, right? So No, for sure. I'll it's, do it. It's 100% worth it. For sure. Yeah. But so just for people, we went on this little nice little I'm like a little thing. av geek too. So I know all well, of you, those. Do you want to come with me? We'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, we'll, we can figure it okay. out for sure. Cool. Um, if you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend on yourself or your family, uh, what problem would you try and solve? I think world hunger and not to be like a, yeah. like one of those. You uh, want peace? No, no, no. Not to be like uh, the beauty pageant queen. <laughs> but I, yeah. I I heard that like you can solve world hunger for like 300 million or something like that. Someone More told, than that, but yeah. But someone told me, I heard once that it was it was a manageable number. It's it's, a, it's, an, it's an amount of money that the wealthiest individuals of the world could probably contribute. I don't believe in that personally. It's not my yeah. belief system. Of like if it's your money, it's yours. We're, no, I'm, we're not going to this discussion. But yeah, it's it's a doable number where like the amount of money we, we speak like, we could solve world hunger with less than the amount of money we gave Ukraine. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing. <laughs> not to 
at all saying it's, it's bad. Sure. But when I heard that they were giving them like 800 million or something like that. 800 billion. And it was million, I think. Yeah, million. And then they've been giving like three hundred million, eight hundred yeah, yeah, million. Yeah, yeah. I thought to myself, eight hundred million, like it's we... a couple billion that we've given so far. And yeah, but also like when you know, like the uh, Notre Dame when you know yeah, yeah. when they had the fire and things like that. When you see the sums of money that goes out to certain like world events, and you think to yourself, like, but you know, there's still world hunger. Yeah. I'm thinking to myself, like, how come we couldn't just unleash the money yeah. and solve world hunger or at least yeah. contribute to that? Also, climate change as well. We know that. No, for sure. But I think yeah. that there's some things where you're like, why can't we just unleash the money to things that is very yeah. obvious? As, as, as someone who spends a lot of time working in climate tech startups, there are so many companies trying to work for that. And also, it's a problem where large organizations and corporations are going to have to solve it themselves just to, yeah. just to stay alive. But like, we unleash the money for like finding a vaccine for COVID oh, for pretty sure. quick. Yes. Right. So like, how come we can't, cause you know, it's not For mental it's, health. Also it's not, it's because it's not people's problems, you know, yes. but I think world, uh, you know, like climate change is definitely our problem, but no one's like, let's unleash the, the bag for that. There's something that someone I won't, I won't tell, say who it is in this podcast basically is, is a good rule of thumb for this. Um, if it, if, it, if the answer is yes to this question, then it doesn't matter how much it costs. The answer, the question is, does it affect rich white people? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, then there is no amount of money that can solve it, right? If it doesn't. But the thing is, the thing is right now, it hasn't affected them because they are not in those places where it gets affected. For sure. But I think the one day that like, God forbid, there's like a tsunami that hits New York City, mm. then the money's just going to start rolling in quick, but then it'll be too late. But, For sure. Well, it's already, somewhere it already is too late, right? Yeah. With, with, with some part, like. There's some people that are living on the street for so long that are just so mentally gone where there is a chance you could give them a good end of life and, uh, you know, have them live, uh, like, like have the food and shelter they need, but to become a functional member of society is sometimes impossible. Yeah, for sure. So, so people ask you what people argue, like, what's the utility of that? Right. And it depends on, I think it really comes down to what's your individual belief in the individual human being. Like, exactly. And if we all can agree on that, then it'll never happen. Exactly. Because that, that all has to be voted on and agreed by yeah. some body of people. So I, I myself am like a staunch capitalist, not in the way of like, what's in the United States right now is not capitalism. Right. I view it as like crony capitalism. It's where the gains are privatized, the losses are socialized. Like it's mm. the worst part of both systems put into one, right? It's like in a proper capitalistic system, like you'd let companies that did bad shit die. Like the banks during the banking crisis in 08, they would have failed and been replaced with better suitors. Like the, yeah. the auto companies would have been replaced with things, but like you wouldn't be propping up these like dead, Airlines dead too. actors. Airlines too, right? Something mm. would, basically the capitalism always allows the, the successors to survive mm. and that evens out the money. It's when you allow bad actors who are, paying out millions, billions of dollars in bonuses, doing things like that to stay in power by giving them more money, that's when the crazy amounts of wealth is created, right? And so I view it quite simply in the fact that like we pay so much money in taxes in the US, which is still in pale comparison to compared to like what you pay here in Denmark, right? Still way less. But we have enough money in the taxes we pull in to solve all of our major problems. Yeah. And that's what bothers me the most. And, and we don't. We we could pay for universal healthcare. We could pay for college. College. <laughs> we could pay for all these individual things and still have a very lucrative system where people basically say, hey, look, there is significant income inequality in, in the US, right? There's significant income inequality in the world, right? But it's also relative. You know, someone making $4 a day in India, you're like, wow, that's terrible. But $4 a day in India is a shit ton of money for them, right? It's enough for them to, to it's the equivalent of making like, 
$400 a day in the US, right? So that, that's the relativity yeah. part one. But then the part two that no one ever talks about too is that there's effort inequality, right? Not everyone can expect to make insane amounts of money and be successful. They're not willing to put in the work. Well, for sure. Right. But I think that like, you know, being here in this socialist uh, society in Denmark, mm -hmm. you know, during COVID, I did realize and see some of the aspects of it that were good. Like Great. when, yeah. you know, COVID hit, a lot of people in the U.S. lost their jobs. Yeah. Not a lot of people lost their jobs. Because the government here. just paid for it. Exactly. Yeah. And one could argue that. So my thing about this is I think it has many upsides. And also it's not really a full socialist system. There's still a lot like this still a capitalist driven economy here. Right. Yeah. So it's capitalist drama. It's a capitalist economy that's driving and supported by a socialist like mainframe essentially. Mm. Right. Where wealth is shared at a certain point, but people are still allowed to have their individual like wins yeah right? well it's it, completely socialized yeah but it but here it is very hard to be wealthy no for you to be like if, you have if, to if be wealthy, wealthy, if you're wealthy you're like very well you're super well off yes but there is no in between no you can't just be rich no it's very hard Whereas in the u.s you can just be rich yeah like, people say like, i mean it, we have like low class middle class rich class sure. wealthy you have all of the classes in the u.s for sure uh, if you're middle class in new york city you can move to most of the places in the country and be upper one percent by the end of the week for sure but in copenhagen if you are in the one percent of copenhagen you move to new york city you are in the one percent of the one percent yeah yeah it's, and i mean it's but money you, money yeah and th and that means you've given away also a lot of money money because yes. <laughs> you paid what it's like 68 percent is the tax rate i think it goes up depending on what yeah, how uh, much money but i mean even for me i'm in the top tax bracket already yeah. and it doesn't take much to get there so yeah they you know you quickly become it scales pretty quickly a, yeah. exactly yeah so it, it and it's a lot and also the second thing is like Denmark's a much smaller country than the U.S. Yeah, I mean it's the size; it's less the size than New York. Not only that, but just population wise. Yeah. Like New York City is more. Wise. New York City has more population than than New York than than all Denmark. Uh, yes. Right. So I think also right. It's like it's easier to do when you have a small homogeneous population, but New York City, New York, United States is so vast and diverse. Yeah, exactly. It just does. It will never work. And so there's this argument about the American dream and the American future, and like some argue for splitting up in the different bunch of different countries, and it would help the situation. Like I'm not sure how what, how I feel on each of it, but I think eventually, what I have a problem with is the loudest, baddest actors of states in the country are the ones that rely on the federal government for money yeah sure. it's like it's always the kentuckys and the alabamas the mississippis mm. complaining about how shitty california and new york are but we're literally paying for their existence yeah right so it's like watch what happens when california washington nevada uh like wyoming and washington and sorry oregon secede like <laughs> like they make their own super like pacific or whatever they're gonna call it like they're gonna be fine like new york massachusetts connecticut like that eric and with pennsylvania could secede and that's like in its own super country that might yeah. become like the number one country right and people are like, oh, but you need the it's just the, like all the, the coastal bases places and, places and, just and the farmland. Like, it's like, yeah, but if you have money, you can buy all that, yeah. <laughs> right? You can build a runway in a field. Like it's not yeah, hard, exactly. You know, which is so geopolitics are interesting, and I, I, I am, I'm long the American idealism. I'm short America as it stands right now. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's. I, I think our grandchildren are going to have a very different America in this world for sure. Yeah, but I think we've already had a very different one from our parents. Correct. So, and that's pretty scary. And my parents, your parents are completely different worlds of, of yeah. circumstances. Like my, my dad grew up in the 1% of the 1% of the Upper East Side of Manhattan, mm. right? Like he, he lived in a different world. Yeah, exactly. Very humble for, for, for considering where he grew up and still works for everything and is one of the hardest working people I know. But that's what he was taught by his family. Mm -hmm. He had many friends that just didn't work the rest of their lives. Yeah, it's crazy. Know? So, <laughs> yeah. who, who knows? Right? Exactly, who knows what it could be like. But it's exciting to think about. Mm. It's scary. Yeah, it's a bit scary. Um, is, is there a story that your family or parents like to tell about you? Oh, 
I mean, yeah, that's that's a that's a funny one to to ask. I mean, a story that they would like to tell about me. I don't know. I mean, I think my mom is always telling, uh, you know, weird stories about me. I think one time I tried to like run away from home, and um, okay, I I, I tried <laughs> to. I was like pissed off from parents, like most people are. Yeah. Uh, I think there was a meme that I saw on Instagram the other day by it too. And like I packed a bunch of sneakers yeah. in my backpack, and that's all I took with me. Yeah, and I think I lasted like half a day in the world. Yeah, and then and I you ran were in New York, so you just like exactly. walked down Central Park. Yeah. And I ran like I was like half a day walking around and realizing all I have is sneakers. I can't even put on new underwear tomorrow. Yeah, so I like ran. And back where home, would you like, put it on? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm sorry, mom. With with no money in my pocket, like. <laughs> it's all about kids, though. It's like this this fearless being like, "Fuck everyone, I'm gonna go do it," and they're like. Yeah, I mean, I I think also too, just I had this like upbringing where I'm like, I can't wait to get out in the world and be my own person and do make my own decisions. And sometimes you wake up now, even being successful, feeling like, fuck, man, I just wish I could just be a kid again where I can just, yeah. I don't have to do anything. Reckless abandon. Also, kids are so elastic. Like you smash it in the sidewalk, you're gonna be fine. Like, exactly. Like adult, you like I have fall a few weird, scars. you break, you break something. Yeah, but also I have a few scars that I don't remember. Really? Just because I was just young and like did whatever. <laughs> Now, like any yeah, scars that I yeah. do have uh, that I got now, like I remember every single one and they hurt. Yeah, for sure. They're all like traumatic instances. Exactly. Or here's the thing. Half my scars were like serious fucking things. They're ever like the dumbest fucking shit. Like I was at my friend's. I don't know if you can see that, like right, right there on my arm. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I was at my friend's uh, beach house in Florida and they had this like weird sharp metal sculpture next to one of the doors. I like scratched my arm on it because it was just like this rock jagged up like went into my arm and i was like i was drunk as fuck and i was like wow that that kind of hurts and i was like bleeding and i and the next morning i was like oh that should that should be fine a week later i'm like this is scarring like i'm gonna yeah. i would never forget i was like i was drunk as fuck in florida and i have this weird scar on my arm now because of some rooster statue like, that sounds like a good trip though <laughs> <laughs> i mean and you have a story a to go with it for sure um is uh, I already asked you that question. So I don't think I've ever asked this question before and I'm still going to try to formulate it in my head. That's why I paused. Um, if, is there, is there a, you're a big movie guy like I am too, right? Sure. right? Is there a movie that you would love the reins and unlimited budget just remake the way you wanted it to? Mm. To remake a movie that, that I loved. As as Andy and Parks and Rec would say, I want to remake Shazam with Shaquille O'Neal and do it right this time. <laughs> I remember Shazam. <laughs> Shazam! Oh my God, that Shazam's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's a good example. Yeah, I don't know if I can hit you with another Shazam version. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, like the, I've always really loved like sci-fi movies, mm -hmm. and like there's a lot of them that like gone really bad, or yeah. movies that like were beautifully like you know pictured mm. but then the context of the actual movie itself was shit with shit and i mean like i really like um there's a movie that like isn't good but it's uh with tom cruise and it was called oblivion i was about to say Obliv yeah oblivion. Li li literally in my head i was like oblivion is the one thing where it's like i said this in this podcast many times i'm quoted saying this oblivion has the greatest cinema soundtrack i've ever yes. heard in my entire yes. life it's funny because I, I saw yes. the, i saw the i saw you saying those words i was like he's gonna say oblivion uh, oblivion yeah so we've talked about this in this podcast like it comes in half the episodes because it's like it's a cult classic movie that is so good but like it just could have been directed so much but also better. there was like you know there were, actually and i can get really deep into this oh, subject because i watched like i watched, I watched, I watched yeah but also times. like i've watched some like behind the scenes storytelling yeah. with it and like 
Mm. They they were like a pioneer for like shooting movies not on a green screen. Yeah, but, but they actually the volume. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they shot it where it was like they had actual uh, screens. Yeah, and they went up it to was, a mountain. It was the first movie that was shot in the same way that all the Disney films are now. Yeah, so it's like the, the Mandalorian. Shot, exactly, and it's called the volume. Yeah. Exactly, and it's interesting because it projects light in such a different way. Yeah, that you can't you can't yeah. get from green screens. You can't, and also it's it's unlimited creativity. Yeah, why did so, you just restart? I think we're good. Yeah, see. But yeah, yeah, that was for me like a uh, an exciting thing where I was like freak, like I love I love Oblivion. Yeah. Um I think this thing stopped recording and just started a new segment. I mean, I'll check it in a second to make sure this isn't broken, but um Oblivion's good. It could have been done better. Soundtrack's still incredible though. I wouldn't change the soundtrack. Yeah, and I and I picked it apart so much now that yeah. I'm there's so many questions mm. that that would need to be answered in, mm-hmm. in the new one. There's so many plot holes. There's so many plot twists that are yeah. shouldn't happen but also like factual things too like sure. when it, like the world series like he mentioned a few things that just was like not, not true true yeah and then also just like they're like indexable things yeah 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 and you know there were there when when you look at and you know when you go down the rabbit hole of youtube yeah. and they're sitting there talking about like these are 20 things that went wrong in the movie yeah. i'm like no nah, i have to fix that i have to yeah. fix that so so my big thing about oblivion is i watched it i did one of those um relay for life's in college we right. like walk around the track for 12 hours to raise money for cancer you don't sleep okay. you do it from like 6 a 6 p.m to 6 a.m right what? yeah just walking around just walking crazy dumb stupid college <laughs> stuff right you drink a lot of caffeine playing ultimate frisbee in the middle of the field like you know, it's college right <laughs> yeah, yeah up in flagstaff arizona at northern arizona university and we decided to stay and everyone i still didn't drink coffee at that time i just wasn't drinking coffee then i just like didn't want to drink coffee for some reason and so i was crashing and we all decided we were going to go see a movie and we all agreed to go see oblivion. And so all of us are kind of like half delirious, half like brain dead, tired, sleepy watching a movie theater. And I saw it. And because I was like half awake, not paying attention to like small pothole, that was the greatest movie of all time. The first time I saw it, because like there was this beautiful soundtrack and amazing visuals. And I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And, and the car I was like, wasn't that great guys. They're like, what do you mean? There was like, there was plot holes. Like this made no sense. And I was like, fuck, like, and I watched it again. I was like, I see it, but I still love the, there's a romantic foundation of that film yeah. that is just beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I, I love that he lived above the clouds and, that, and then the yeah. lighting too. And the Could fact you that they being actually set got, designer they that? got the lighting from above Perfect. the clouds, like Perfect. actual lighting from yeah. that. It's amazing. Yeah. So the set design in that movie is incredible. Set design and music Yeah, in that film are 10 out of 10, 100% amazing. But I heard that's also the time that uh, was like Katie Holmes was like mm-hmm. running away from him because he was in Scientology. It was yeah. like, that's when she was like breaking loose from him because he was in Iceland for like a, a, you know, a good period of time. Yeah. So but, you, you mean, can tell he was like mentally unstable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I understand. Like if my wife was breaking away from me because I was part of a cult and she didn't want to join it either, then I would also be like, yeah. <laughs> I like, so the last, the last comment I'll make in this film is like Tom Cruise to me is one of those amazing people because he doesn't seem to age. No. He's like Jennifer Aniston. No, he he has what a kind re- of babies and Jennifer blood. Lopez too. Yeah, what kind of baby's blood are they smothering their skin? Or uh, or uh, Pharrell. Pharrell. <laughs> yeah, Pharrell looks like he's twelve. Yeah, yeah. He he's really he's really gotten it. Justin Bieber yeah. as well. I know he, you know he ages based on the number of tattoos that grow in his body, yeah. but like <laughs> that's the only way I know. He's it's aging. true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh man. What and a- Haley Baldwin looks like he's a sixteen-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> right or Haley Bieber? Excuse me. Yeah, Haley Bieber. Apologies, Miss Bieber. Um. So, um. I'll get you out of here on this question, right? If you could send a single push notification to everyone's phone in a given area, where would it be and what would it say? Uh, 
Follow me at Ruben Hughes. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> I don't think I would take any other, any other opportunity. What I'm, I'm not going to like send out my favorite quote to people. Yeah. Uh, or send my bank account, but I definitely would try to plug myself. I think to for be, sure. To be honest, because I think there's not so much that I can say to the world all the, all uh, in one note. But I think over time, if they were to meet me, mm. then they, they can see something. Else. Well, these are social media. Understand who you are through context. Of exactly. Context. So not yeah. so much because I want new followers, but because yeah. you couldn't. I couldn't give someone all yeah. of me and. So it wasn't as shallow as it sounds, is what we're saying. No, no, it's not a shout out at all, or or a shallow, right? So like, I think I think you added context, which is important, which is this like Instagram, if used properly, does an amazing way of allowing people to, uh, you know what that phrase is like, fall in love with someone you've never met. Yeah, right, for sure. I think it does, but you know, because for me, I'm I'm very like I'm a visual person. Sure, sure. Um, and I use words as well, but I'm a very visual person, and I think that. Well, for you to understand me or for you to get anything out of me, you need to kind of like see me yeah. or understand my creativity. Follow you for long enough that you see the average. Exactly. And that, that could be in person mm. as a friend or that can be digitally as a digital friend or whatever it is. So I think by by saying that, it, it, it needs to be that you would need to know a little bit more about sure. me. Um, I wouldn't just want to say, you know, some sweet words in a text message and then everyone yeah. say cool. I think that's right. Okay. Anything you want to plug besides? I already said my Instagram, but um, yeah. that's about it. I mean, thanks for the the uh, the chat, and and I'm I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we became friends. You know? Yeah, of course. It's, it's, it's one of those it's cool Instagram. Yeah, it's cool out. You're here on your three day layover in Copenhagen to hang out. Yeah, always. I mean, I told you like two months ago. Like, hey, man, I'll be there. You're like, let me know when it's sooner. I'm like, cool. I get it. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, and for context, for everyone else, like we started this when it was nice and bright outside, and neither of us have gotten up because we're attached to microphones, and it's now like very dark in this hotel room yeah so we're gonna we're gonna stop recording and turn on the light but otherwise um have a wonderful evening everyone yeah thank you i hope you enjoyed this conversation between myself and ruben hughes you can find ruben online at ruben hughes r-u-b-e-n-h-u-g-h-e-s and as always you can find me online at rob auchincloss and i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day